0: The most expensive purchase you ever make in your life is your government. And uh, over the course of your life, assuming you leave a legally abiding life, roughly 50% of everything you ever earn will be taken from you in taxes.
1: Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all doing? Are you having a good week? Bitcoin has rallied back over $54,000 overnight. Looking pretty hot at the moment. Looks like we're going to hit 58k again maybe over 60k, another all-time high. We haven't had one for a few weeks. Bullshit, isn't it? Come on, Bitcoin, do your thing. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got a fellow Brit on the show. I've got the absolutely amazing Dominic Frisbee, and we're going to be discussing the burden of tax, Bitcoin, and gold. But before that, I have a message from my amazing show sponsors, First up today, we are kicking off with Exodus Wallet. Now, I've been telling you about these for a little while now. As you know, the banks have closed my bank accounts. They gave me 65 days notice. Fuck you, Lloyds Bank. And because I'm increasingly running my business on Bitcoin, I invoice on Bitcoin, I get paid in Bitcoin, and now I don't have access to the banks, I just needed a very good wallet to be able to do my end of month transactions, to audit it all and send it over to my accountant. And so when Exodus reached out to me and they were like, Pete, who want to sponsor your show? I was like, well, let me see your wallet. And I had to play with it. And it's pretty amazing. So I was like, cool, come on board. You can be a sponsor and I'm going to use Exodus wallet. Now, if you want to check it out, you just need to head over to Exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Apple or Google app stores. And next up, we have Casa, the best, the absolute best in Bitcoin security. I don't even know how long I've been a customer now. I think it's like 10 months. I'm definitely coming up to my renewal soon, and I'm definitely going to be upgrading to a Casa Diamond account. Now, since I've had this, I have had the peace of mind of not making stupid mistakes, which if any of you listen to my previous show with Shinobi, you will know I'm technically incompetent and could always do but I'm also protected from device failures, in-person attacks, and so much more, which is great. And with Bitcoin rallying, I know some of you out there are making gains, and I guarantee some of you have got a really shit security procedure in place. You need to get this sorted out, and you need to go and check out Casa. And they have a product for every Bitcoiner. So with Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet. You can get Casa Platinum like I have, which is their three or five multi-zig, and you also have Casa diamond which is their full service offering this is what i'm getting it's going to come with a customized personal security review inheritance planning and of course their best-in-class security there is no better time to upgrade your bitcoin security and get total peace of mind you can find out more at Keys.Casa, which is k-u-i-s and let's talk about my friends over in estonia sportsbet.io now listen some of you have been giving me some stick on twitter You've been talking about what's going on with Liverpool. And I just want to let you know that Liverpool fans are not selfish. We don't want to win the trophy twice in a year. We want to share it out. Now, that is how we are. We are fair. A bit like Sportsbet are fair. Sportsbet, not only are they fair, Sportsbet want to promote Bitcoin around the world. And they've put a Bitcoin logo on the Southampton shirt. Hopefully one day they'll do the Liverpool shirt. But if you're watching Premier League football and you see a Bitcoin logo... That is because of sportsbet.io. And now with Sportsbet, you have every market you could possibly be interested in, and they accept Bitcoin. They've got football, tennis, American sports, motorsports, even esports. And for new customers, there's always a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is s p o forward slash promotions. Okay, so on to the show today. Long overdue, fellow Brit the amazing Dominic Frisbee. Now, Dominic has written a number of books, including Bitcoin, The Future of Money, and more recently, Daylight Robbery, How Tax Shaped Our Past and Will Change Our Future. And over the past few months, people have been emailing me or prodding me on Twitter saying, come on, man, you've got to get Dominic on the show. So I went over to his page. He was already following me. I was already following him. And I was like, Dominic, come on, man, let's make a show it was great. He came on. And with Richie Sunak, and for you Americans, you might not know who he is. He's basically the Chancellor of the Exchequer. His job is to rob us blind here in the UK. He just announced the UK government's plans to hike corporation tax. So with Dominic being not only a Bitcoiner, but also a Goldberg and a bit of a Libertarian, there was loads to get into. I love this one. It's a great interview. One of those ones, we've just ended up shooting the shit and went off on a bunch of tangents. We got into tax, government, the overreach of government, homeschooling, Bitcoin versus gold, and loads more. I will definitely have Dominic back on the show soon. And look, if you enjoy the show, you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. God, I'm getting so many emails at the moment, hundreds a week. So thank you for all the emails. I love it. If I take a couple of days to get back to you, I'm very sorry. But you can reach out to me. Just do not send me any weird shit because I will dump that. I will dump that like Liverpool have dumped their season. You can reach out to me at hello at did.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Also, Have you checked out NeverEdit, my daily newsletter? Tech, macro, and Bitcoin's growing nicely. Turn it into a news desk. You can find out more about that at neveredit.com. And have you ever checked out my other podcast, Defiance? I know some of you haven't. You want to do that. Head over to defiance.news, doing some cool stuff there. Got an amazing new series starting this week about Britney Spears, but about conservativeship. You won't want to miss that. Okay. I hope you're having a great week, and I will see you on Friday. Enjoy the show. Love you all. See you all soon. You with me? You were telling me.
0: Yeah, I was just saying, I, I see you're a big champion of Bedford. I used to do gigs in Bedford back in the day. There was one at the Corn Exchange on a Friday night that I used to comp And there was another, was it called The Shed? And you'd come over a bridge oh. and you'd turn right over the bridge and you'd go along that road for maybe half a mile and it was in a pub along there. It was called The Shed or The Barn or something like that. That was a oh, lovely that's gig. back a bit. Yeah, yeah the, the that, two... is, that is going back a while. Wait, when was this? Is this like eighties? Um, no, eighties. No, uh, I'm not that old. The uh, the 80s. the one in the Corn Exchange was quite recent, maybe five years ago, something like that. And the one in uh, the one in the shed would have been beginning of the century, <laughs> two thousand and one, two thousand two, two thousand three, I... something like that. I'm
1: trying to think what the shed is because the, the the two I think famous it might not ones have like...
0: been called the shed. You'd be like. There was lots of great names, did it? You know, before there were great names, Al Murray, and I remember doing it with Al Murray one time.
1: Uh, oh, I know that's the one that's the one on Castle Road. yeah, that's, that's right that's the that's the basically that's our tiny little um middle class part of Bedford. That's like the Bedford's Notting Hill. So <laughs> if you're middle class and you've got a bit of money, that's where you live. And you've got like a nice little butcher's, you're by the river, there's a good couple of pubs. Um, but the houses of the houses there now are really expensive. I mean, there's one road, Bushmead Avenue, where everyone wants to live and they are over a million pounder house
0: there now. I do, I do remember going to Bedford and expecting it to be rough as fuck and then yeah. going to that gig and it not being and being happily surprised. But I, good, I also we- remember, because you'd then go, there was a bit, round the back of, like if you're looking at the Corn Exchange and you'd sort of, Mm -hmm. you come out of the Corn Exchange and turn left and turn left again. I remember parking my car up there one time and it would either have been a Friday or a Saturday night at pub throwing out time and it was mental. Yeah, Like it 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 was one of those war zones and you're just like, you know, we need another war (laughs) and send all those people out to fight for us and we'll conquer the world again.
1: Well, I'll tell you how we've done well is that when we used to have the fast train into London, we were the first stop the fast train that goes up to like Leeds and Nottingham. And what happened was a lot of people would commute to London because you can get into London in 35 minutes on the train, but you could afford a house. But a lot of people who lived in London started moving back because they bought maybe a flat in Brixton for 300,000. It was suddenly worth 800,000 and they could come and get a, a nice house with their kids. So a lot of money came back into the town. But we still have a useless council, but there is a funny story recently that we had a whole new development, a cinema complex and we got a Wagamamas and a ZZ's. Like you know, the Wagamama's was a big deal. We kind of felt like we'd arrived. But there's this like famous story that the uh, whoever it was from Wagamamas who came down to see the plot, whether it's the manager, director, whoever, he got the train and then he walked from the train station to Wagamamas. And basically you have to go through Bedford's Bay Route to get there and it's it's awful and by the time he got there he said oh i'm not having i'm not having a wagga mummers here so the council ended up convincing him but the rumor is it it's going to, going to close the two venues i thought you might be talking about there's a squires i thought you were th- talking about like concert venues we've got a squires and we used to have this one called the angel and i can I'm not that big funny, uh, well the, yeah, the angel is big what i'll tell you a funny story about the angel so when i was 16 which is Never used to feel like a long time ago, but actually, what is that, 28, is that 28 years ago? 38? 20, 26 years ago, 28 years ago, no, 26 years ago, which feels a long time now. I was at school, and my mate came to me and said, oh, there's a there's a gig on in uh, The Angel on Friday, do you want to come? I was like, who's playing? He said, oh, it's this band called Oasis, they've got a new single out. I was like, nah. I don't like this indie crap. <laughs> Obviously, it went on to be huge, and I, you know, he was one of the people who got to see Oasis play the Angel in Bedford in front of three hundred people, and I missed
0: out on it. Which was yeah, but shit. you got Bitcoin early, and he didn't, so you're all right. You, you win yeah, exactly. Yeah, that no, fuck you. I got Bitcoin.
1: Are you are you, a, are you a Londoner, born and bred?
0: I'm born and bred Londoner. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I always wanted to move to London. Um,
0: just man, it's expensive. It, you know, even to a Bitcoiner who's got his Bitcoin millions, it's a bloody expensive city. And, yeah. and, and, and a lot of, lot of the time, needlessly expensive. It's all caused by overinflated property prices.
1: Yeah. And what are all the Russians <laughs> buying the
0: properties? Well, yeah. Well, exactly. And I mean, it, it's just, it's, it just, it's like, constantly and never-endingly being... Sque- I was about to use... It's a bit early in the morning, but it, London rapes you. It mm. just constantly squeezes you for every last cent that you've got, and it won't stop doing it until you die, and then even after you die, <laughs> it will carry on squeezing you. Well, if Bitcoin keeps going up, maybe, I, maybe I'll get a flat down yeah. there. I
1: did. I always wanted to live on South Bank. I always like it near, up, up near Tate Modern. And I was, remember looking at those flats. You know the, Do you know the new flats next to Tate Modern? Yeah, around the back of it. I was always like, oh, I'd love to live there. So I had a look on Rightmove
0: and it was something like
1: two and a half million pounds. I was like, what? For
0: a flat? Yeah, well, I used to live on a boat in the Thames. In fact, I wrote that book there, nice. the one behind me, on a boat on the Thames, in Canary Wharf. It was more, it was Groove Armada's boat. And he, it was his <laughs> studio, well, one half of Groove Armada's boat and it was his studio. And you know that song, If You Think of Sand Dunes and yeah. yeah. So he, he composed that song or mixed that song because he would go on his boat down the Canal du Midi and, you know, keep encountering these quaint little villages everywhere as the song goes. Hang on a minute, let me turn my WhatsApp off because it's a thing. thing. Um, anyway, and then he moved to the... He, he hated the internet because he felt the internet killed music. So he effectively retired from the music industry and bought a chateau in the south of France where he wanted to have as little contact with anyone ever Possible. That was his goal in life. Um, I really rather liked him. But the um anyway, so he let I was staying on his boat when I wrote that book. And every now and then, and it was moored in a dock in Canary Wharf with and it was bizarre because there was this, it was by the HSBC Tower and the Barclays Tower. And every night I'd go and stand on the on the deck of the boat, <clears throat> and you'd see these huge letters, Barclays, HSBC, coming down about you. And I'd sort of be looking back up at them going, fuck off, I'm writing a book about Bitcoin, it's going to take <laughs> you guys out. <laughs> but so we, uh, the uh, we, we take the boat um, out onto the Thames, and you drive it up and down the Thames. And, you know, the Thames is like, if you look at an old painting of the Thames, a Canaletto painting or something like that in the 1900 1800s. It's the most, it's just busy. Everyone lived on the Thames. They worked on the Thames. They slept in boats on the Thames. And it was the lifeblood of England. You go and look at the Thames now. It's just, it's a total um, economic desert. Nobody uses it. It's dead. And then they've Mm. just built all these flats, like the one that you described, all the way up at the side. And we actually went on the boat, and we went the other way. So we went from Greenwich out towards the Tidal Estuary, And you have no, it's just an endless sea of ugly buildings built Mm. on either side, you know, flats, overpriced flats. And, you know, all those buildings have been built with no thought for legacy whatsoever. And in 20 years' time, people will look back and they go, how can they have built that stuff? It's so ugly and it'll have to be, it's just grim. But well, I, um, I can't justify anyway. the
1: downsizing to a, to a flat. You know, we we have a nice sized house up here in Bedford, and Bedford's improving. But I, if I if it was a second property, I I would like something
0: in London. I actually think... I, well, it's I, groovy. It's a nice place. I'd rent it. It's a nice place yeah. to go for parties and stuff. But London is like COVID has killed London. It's just dead. I mean, property prices haven't come down, but London is dead. All the atmosphere that was in, you know, I think seven hundred thousand people have left, but it was, uh, and and it's seven hundred thousand productive people. Mm-hmm. You know, the sort of unproductive underbelly is still there, <laughs> leeching its way through life. Will you say but that the, um,
1: when the last lockdown ended? I went into London and I went into Soho, and it was crazy busy
0: still, really crazy busy. But that was well, in between maybe lockdowns. It'll pick up. May, yeah, maybe it'll pick up again, but. You know, there's so many people who remote working has become normalised now, mm-hmm. and so they know it. It'll it. You know, it's a big city, and it Soho is just the best place in the world. So you know, it's well, always yeah. people are always going to go there. Um, you know, to have fun and stuff. But there's definitely a big movement of people leaving London, thinking, "Do you know what? Now I can work remotely. I can do without the high cost of living. I can do without the high house prices. I can buy a nice house in the country." And the other thing is tax in London. You know, I say London rapes you. One of the Mm. ways it rapes you is just through, it's not just through property prices, it's through endless taxes. And, you know, a lot of people are going to be looking at the cost of living and thinking, you know, I'll just go and become a digital nomad and work remotely and go and live in Mexico. Mm. Well, Um, So I think that's a big trend.
1: That's a tempting lifestyle. I interviewed this guy recently, Didi, who travels the world. And I was thinking, God, you know what, when my kids are at the right age, I would do that. Because all I need is, you know, a backpack, a microphone
0: and a laptop. I can work
1: anywhere and avoid all this I'm
0: gone, Peter. Yeah, me too. I am gone. Uh, My eldest kid is 19. My youngest is 14. I've got about a few more years in the game and then I'm uh, gone.
1: You're a couple of years ahead. So my eldest is 17 next month and my youngest is 11. But I get a bit more flexibility when he's gone because I'm separated from uh, from their mother. So, you know, I can move around a little bit more Once he's, whatever he does, whether he goes to university
0: or, I'm trying to encourage him to go traveling. So so you You say that, that my eldest is at university and like, I thought, right, as soon as he's gone, that's him. They're just as dependent. They don't think they are because they're at (laughs) university, but they they need someone to come back in holidays. They're just as dependent on you. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean. So you're a big fan of Soho as well? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I just love too. it. I in fact I always wanted a flat in Soho and mm. then to be a digital nomad. But <laughs> the the um you know, I, I was CEO of a company called Cypherpunk Holdings for a bit. And you'd go you'd trot around the world going to conferences, holding court, and everyone would listen to your wisdom. And you know, you can just do that. You just go around the world to Bitcoin. What's his Tone Vase does that? He just yeah. goes around the world holding court at Bitcoin conferences and he does his YouTube channel and stuff and it's a great little life.
1: Well, I used to kind of do it hard. So what I used to do is go away for three weeks and then come back for three weeks. Away for three... It was tiring, but I, doing it, I knew I could just do it constantly if I didn't have to come back and spend some time with the kids. Um, yeah, I mean... Families tire you. Yeah, they are, but there's so much incentive to... I mean, especially with the taxation. Yeah, we should probably talk about um, the impending tax bombs that are coming... From Rishi Sunach and
0: what we're going to be paying with, for. With for pleasure. Years. Will that be of interest to your American listeners? Well, I, th- you know what, they <laughs> they get enough content. You know, I don't give
1: a <laughs> fuck. It's nice to talk to a British person. I'll make I'll make sure it's interesting for them. Struggling with the same issues that I'm struggling with. A quick question though, like, what are these London taxes? I don't know about because um, is it just is it just the a council tax?
0: Well, no, I mean council tax isn't too bad in London. It's no worse. But, you know, for example, business rates are very high in London. Right. And that those taxes get passed on to the consumer. So just by living in London, you know, you're paying everyone has to put the price of everything up to 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 make sure their own business is profitable. And that gets passed on to you, the consumer. It makes that's what makes the cost of living so high. And one fact, one of the things I go on in that book there, Daylight Robbery, my new one, is that, mm. you know, if I asked you, Peter, you'll probably know the answer to this, but what's the most expensive purchase you ever make in your life? Does divorce count? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> wives don't count because you can't buy them. Not even not even on DeFi.
1: Yeah. Uh, my house, of course, is my most... What, yeah, what, so everyone
0: yeah. says your house. And... and um, you know, houses, of course, they're very expensive, but they're not the most expensive purchase you make in your life by a long chalk. Okay. The most expensive purchase you ever make in your life is your government. <laughs> and uh, over the course of your life, assuming you leave a legally abiding life, roughly 50% of everything you ever earn will be taken from you in taxes, not just in yeah. income tax, but, you know, as I just said, described to you just then, just buy something in a shop in London, you know, a lot of that money is just tax. Well, it's, it's, it's funny and, you should
1: say that because somebody put it to me a while back, and the way they
0: explained it, they said you work six months of the year for the government. Yeah, well, for free. they do that, and yeah, exactly. Uh, we have that. There's a thing called Tax Freedom Day, which is an invented by an American guy whose whose name escapes me, but it was, it was invented shortly after World War Two, where he wanted to make it clear to people just how much of what they earn goes on government so invented this idea of tax freedom the the day the day in the year when what you earn starts to become yours and you're no longer paying for government and in america it falls in may in the uk it falls in may 30th in uk it's early june and in france it's july (laughs) but the one thing um they don't take account of in in tax freedom day is the you know, the taxation that Bitcoiners hate so much, inflation, taxate which is, you know, Milton Friedman described mm. that as taxation without legislation. And, you know, when I said that 50% figure, it doesn't include taxation via inflation. Does or it taxation does it include... via the debasement of money?
1: Because I was thinking about it the other day. I, I, I've been going on these long walks with my son, uh, just because we've got nothing to do. The government allows us one trip out a day, supposedly. And, uh, you know, I've been talking to him a lot about this stuff, trying to help him understand it. And I said, look, the problem you've got is right now is that I run a business and if I make profits, I have to pay tax. And then I pay myself, which I have to pay tax on. And once I've got that money, if I make any investments from what's left over, if those investments make profit, I have to pay tax on it. And then if I want to buy a profit with, uh, sorry, buy a house with that, I have to pay a tax on that house. And then um, with that money that's left over, if I want to buy uh, goods in the shop, I have to pay tax. And then when I die whatever's left over, you're going to pay tax on that. I said, it's just a constant attack on the money that you go out and earn. And it's like, I, I'm not full libertarian. I don't know how many of your shows my shows you've listened to. Like, I didn't know about libertarianism as an idea until I discovered Bitcoin. And it's made me gradually kind of shed my statism skin. And over time, like, I'm not full libertarian yet. I theoretically love it. And I'm not completely anti-tax. But at the same time, it now it's kind of out of hand. And I'm like, where what are they spending all the fucking money on?
0: Where's it going? Well, <clears throat> the, the, you raise about five different issues there. Yeah. The, the, them. the first thing is, you know, whenever I go to a, a really hardcore Bitcoin conference, I'll often come away full-on anarcho-capitalist. We do not need government to provide anything. And and then, you know, when I start hanging out with, you know, some of my friends um most of my friends are all social democrat fools and when i start to hang out with some of them i sort of compromise a little bit and so i sort of meet in the middle at the sort of the libertarian 10 to 15 percent of gdp should be taken in taxes classical liberalism that's a sort of compromise position the old gladstonian liberalism but if you look at history and There has not been a single example of a civilization at any time in history where there was not some form of taxation. It is as old as civilization itself. In fact, it's probably even slightly older um, because there would have been an idea of the sense of duty to the greater collective. So I would argue that taxation of some kind is as inevitable as death. Now, an anarcho-capitalist would take the other side of that and they would say that it's theft and so on. And I hear, I hear you. It is theft. It is forcibly taking something that's yours. Nevertheless, there have existed societies in history where taxation was voluntary. One example of this is ancient Greece. It was considered the duty, and it's interesting how a lot of the words for taxation, things like duty, have this sort of moral uh, undertone to them. But it was considered the duty of the rich in society to share the greater spoils of their earnings with everyone else. And so we had voluntary, um, but it was not there, they were not legally obliged or forced to. But what would tend to happen is it was a system called liturgy. And if if, for example, the, the city needed a bridge or it needed a warship or it needed some games or some theatre, whatever put on, the liturgist it would would put it on. But not only did he put it on, he would have to carry out the work that himself, himself. Mm-hmm. So, not only did he pay for it, his reputation was on the line. So, with his wallet and the reputation on the line, what you tended to see was that goods, things tended to be carried out not just with, you know, with legacy in mind, with his reputation on the mind. And also because he was risking his wallet, they tended to be carried out at an efficient cost. And so, that's why you have these great. Th- um, you know, the Parthenon was built with liturgy. And so that's why you have this great tradition, this this great sort of legacy of ancient Great Greece, because people were building it with so much more in mind. Now, it became a device by which to gain political influence and power. So it's, it you know, it was all systems get corrupted sooner or later. But, it, it you know, it, it, it was eventually corrupted and eventually the system was abandoned during the Peloponnesian War. So you know you can have voluntary taxation. The the tradition of the tithe, where we give a ten a tenth of what we earn um, to the church or whatever. Again, that predates Christianity by a long way. It goes all the way back to ancient Mesopotamia. And in fact, the first written records we have, I'll talk about those in a sec actually. But the tradition of the tithe, where you give a tenth of what you earn, and and they think it's a tenth because we have ten fingers on our hand. It was an easy number to calculate. Again. And and you look at a country, you know, in in Britain in the late um, 1800s, that was sort of Britain at its best. Tax was only about ten percent of GDP. Hong Kong in the second half of the 20th century, the most the economic success story of the sec, of the second half of the 20th century, taxation was at, never exceeded fourteen percent of GDP. Right. And what's more, they never levied income tax except on the very highest earners. Ordinary workers didn't pay income tax. Most of the taxes came from, or forty percent of tax revenue came from land value tax. So, you know, they, I I would argue that tax is inevitable, but it doesn't necessarily have to take the form of income tax. And it can, it doesn't necessarily have to be forced or coerced. It can be voluntary. Let me just tell you about taxation in ancient Mesopotamia, because there's an analogy to, to Bitcoin here. The very first forms of money in ancient, when, so human beings were sort of lived nomadic lifestyles on 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 the hills and so on. And then as the seas, as the water went out, that's the whole Noah's Flood narrative, but as the water went out, they descended from the Zagros Mountains onto the plains of, of Iraq, um, ancient Mesopotamia, the lands between the Tigris and the Euphrates. Mm-hmm. And they discovered this mud there where the waters had receded. And they found that this mud... They could plant crops in this mud and they had crop yields, the like of which had never been seen before. They made pots out of this mud, tools, sickles, axes, hammers, things like that. And they also found that they, if they baked the straw with mud, um, it formed bricks. And the bricks built the first homes, which built the first cities and so on. And this mud also made the very first system of money. And that money took the form of tokens. You would have uh, a disk, for a uh, a sheep, a a cone for a measure of barley, two cones would be two measures of barley, and so on. And these tokens would be baked inside clay balls, and then when the debt was settled, the clay balls would be smashed open and the debt would be settled. So that clay ball with the tokens inside, <laughs> preserved, was a blockchain. It was an early blockchain. <laughs> and then people found that, and by the way, the most common form of debt that was owed was taxes you didn't necessarily pay your taxes um in money you 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 know we would have had bits of gold and and so on then but but we didn't have and shekels you know this the the old silver but we didn't have coins yet but the but so the, the these were like records of debts they were blockchains and um Money was... uh, uh, Taxes were often paid in labour, so you'd pay with a share of your produce or a share of your labour rather than actual coin as we do now because coin didn't exist. And so anyway, then people found that rather than baking these tokens inside clay balls and smashing them open, you could just have clay tablets and inscribe the tablets with pictures instead. And so the very first form of writing was developed, hieroglyphs. Mm -hmm. But... These very first forms of writing hieroglyphs were records of taxes owed. <laughs> so the very first blockchains, if you like, were 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 ledgers of of outstanding taxes. Where did so you read a all nice this? Nice analogy. there.
1: Is there a book? Is this in a book? You must have read it somewhere.
0: Yeah, it's all in my. It's all in Daylight Robbery, the, ah, the book I've just written.
1: Yeah, see, I skimmed through that. Uh, I haven't actually seen the detail. <laughs> um I'm, I'm also like one of those audiobook people now so i get up every morning and go for a long walk i need a dog basically because i'm just walking on my own everyone's walking with dogs and i'm just on my own walking around the
0: park yeah get a dog they'll but make I've, your life much better and get a poodle they're really good dogs po- okay
1: well well but i've been listening like so i listen to audiobooks uh, and i'm doing the um, when money dies at the moment is daylight robbery coming out as an audiobook
0: it's already out, and it's it's right. it's it's had incredibly. It's got an average viewer or listener rating of four point nine out of five, which I think right. eclipses just about any other audiobook out there. I s- spent my early years doing voiceovers, and I read the book, so it's a combination of a brilliant book and a brilliant voice.
1: Right, I'm going to do it now. <laughs> so it's um, I've got three credits on. Is it on
0: Audible? Yeah.
1: Oh, here we go. I'm going to can I it.
0: can I pimp you something else while you're yeah, at it? Me. Yeah, because I've got three credits. Okay, so buy Daylight Rub- Robbery with one of your yeah. credits and go. then buy this book here. You see that? The Shadow Punk Revolution. Um, it's funny, And but... This, I'm going to tell you about that. I'm going to sidetrack and, and pimp Shadow Punk Revolution. Do you mind? No, do it, man. Okay, so um, one of the reasons we're seeing this boom in audio... Is that the human brain? We only invented writing as as a means to transfer information over distance and over time. Um, The human brain is actually much better designed to absorb information through the ear. We absorb information better that way. That's just how we're designed, and and thanks, and that's explains why there's this huge boom in podcasts, audiobooks, and everything else. It's a better means to transmit information than 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 is the page. And so with that in mind, I was a big fan. I, I think format is often determined by the media available at the time. So for example, um you know the album only came around with the invention of thirty three rpm records and you could store more on a on an album than the previous 78 rpm. And then with the invention of all the digital technology um uh, uh, the iPod, iTunes, Spotify and all the rest of it with the internet, the album as a medium has pretty much died a death. Everyone listens to playlists now rather than albums. Um but I used to love the old concept albums of the 1970s, things like War and the War of the Worlds when there'd be a story mm. and a narrative to music. And I think there's so my idea is that there's going to be a huge boom now as people start to discover it in audio stories told to music. Okay. Another great one was Peter and the Wolf. Did you used to listen to that old Russian Peter yes. and the Wolf when you were a little boy? I did. This one, And where each instrument in the orchestra is a, is a, is represents one of the characters in the story. Gosh, that's and a flashback. Yeah. So anyway, with that in mind, I wanted to write a sort of a drama uh-huh. Uh, a musical drama. And then when I wrote this book, Bitcoin, The Future of Money, back in 2014, um, which, and the story then, you know, who is Satoshi Nakamoto? It was just like a thriller. He's invented this new money system. The money system's going to take down the world. Who is this guy? It was just, the whole thing was like, read like a thriller. So I wanted to do something. And this, this, this idea of Bitcoin, you know, somebody needs to write a Lord of the Rings where Bitcoin is the, is the ring. Do you see what I mean? And yeah, the, no, I get the, you it. know, it's just crying out to be done. And and so um with that in mind, we and I'm very interested in the subject of privacy as well. Mm-hmm. And so we had this, we invented this thing. Let me just turn the thing around so you can see the the Yeah, uh, I've just table. ordered it. Well, I've just it's that uh, oh, thank you. So the idea was is that somebody in the future, uh the, the, the story set five years in the future, and it's set in rural Devon. Where, which is the most people don't realise this, but <laughs> North Devon is one of the most overlooked parts of the UK. And, you know, everyone thinks it's Glasgow or or you know up north somewhere. Which, north which part? Devon, because I know Cornwall. I know North Devon. Which part? Are you well, it's like, set, we set it in we started it in Torrington. So, I so the
1: areas I know, I know Axminster, Lyme Regis, that
0: part. Well, Lyme Regis is Dorset. Oh yeah, and of course Axminster, it is. Yeah. I think that's Somerset. No, no, you're, Somerset. Right. No, that's you're right. all a bit wealthier Dorset. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure if Axminster's It's on the way into Exeter anyway, so I don't think you're quite in Devon yet. It's either Dorset or Somerset.
1: Yeah, I'm confusing Dorset
0: with Devon there. Anyway, it's easily done. Anyway, and so um, County Lines is this practice of sophisticated urban drug dealers taking Mm -hmm. their drugs into rural communities to kids who are totally naive and totally you know, unprepared to deal with this experience and then getting them addicted. And then it's one of the most evil things that's taking place. And that's not me saying, by the way, that drugs should be illegal. I, I'm in favour of them being legalised. But I think County Lines just getting kid, naive rural kids hooked on drugs is is just evil beyond belief. Anyway, so these drug dealers in the future, these County Lines drug dealers, have invented these coats of invisibility that uh, with which to deal these drugs, and you can only buy these coats of invisibility on the dark net, and uh, and the 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 people who've invented these coats of invisibility are called the shadow punks. Now the okay. parallel there is obvious, and the shadow punks were. Um, uh, Techno activists, um, uh, physicians who'd found this way of using uh, mirrors, metamaterials, in order to protect invisibility, and and they invented them to protect against state and corporate invasion of privacy. So, with exactly the same motivation that that um, the cypherpunks invented uh, Bitcoin. Nevertheless, people then use these coats to commit crimes and people use Bitcoin to commit crimes. They use mm-hmm. it to you know, buy horrible things on the dark net and also nice things on the dark net. And so the whole idea of these invisibility coats was uh, you know, used for good but also used for evil. It was a whole metaphor for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And this police officer from North, from North Devon goes on this investigation to crack the, the county lines and he then ends up going on this whole mission to find out who the guy who invented these coats was and bring him down. And uh, obviously, the guy, and I think I call him Natoshi Sakamoto or something. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. But anyway, so the whole thing is a metaphor for Bitcoin. So, you know, okay. it's only an hour long, but I think if you're into audiobooks, I think is all really like that.
1: Well, I've got it now. So basically, I I I've, I need to lose a little bit of lockdown weight. And I took on a coach and he was like, you've just got to get moving. It was quite interesting. So he said, just do your 10,000 steps a day, which I always thought was nonsense. So when I plugged into my app, I looked. And since we've been in lockdown, I'm barely walking more than 2,000 steps a day because you're just in your house. And now I'm kind of like getting excited. So I woke up this morning, it was half hour. I was like, "Ah, oh, it's a bit too dark to go out now. So I had a coffee and waited and i go out and walk an hour, 90 minutes every morning around Bedford Park, doing a few laps and listening to a book. Because I don't like reading a book. I, when I I don't know if you have this. When I read a book, I can sometimes read a few pages and go, shit, I haven't taken any of that in. And I have to go back and reread them. Whereas with an audio book, I, I get engrossed. And I, I make my way through books. So... I'm enjoying it. I've, I've got both of those downloaded. I'm going to do the um, Daylight Robbery first, I think, though, because the text thing is...
0: Daylight is the more serious one. But your, what you've described is exactly what I'm talking about, as yeah. the human brain takes information in through the ear. And also, the other problem we have is these things, phones. Since mm. phones have been invented, like if I'm given the choice between reading a book or picking up my phone and playing with the phone, 99 times out mm-hmm. of 100, the phone wins. Yeah,
1: yeah. and and Half know, an hour before bed, checking
0: Twitter rather than reading a book that you used to do. Sure. And I, I get into bed, I open my Kindle, I read two pages, and it's the surest, quickest way to get me to <laughs> sleep. <laughs> well, we ban the phones around the house. So
1: me and the kids, like, if we go out to dinner now, phones are left in the car. It's just, because we went out, we went for a Cheeky Nandos once and I looked around and all three of us were on our phone. I was like, what the fuck are we doing? So we, we've we started to do that now. We've just got to have that well, break from it. It's
0: very wise. The only problem is when you're having dinner and the subject, you know, who was sent forward for Manchester United in 1988 and you're like, oh, if only I had my phone, then we could just look it up. Was it Brian or Was that a little bit later? 88. Uh, yeah, it might, we might, yeah, I think it probably was. But Brian
1: McClair, But again, Mark Hughes. I, we'd need
0: to check. We'd need to check. Now I want to check. I think it was just a bit, before Mark Hughes. Before Mark Hughes. Is that because is that you're was, a United yeah. fan? No, no, it was just a generic... Uh, I'd I'm, I'm have you down as Arsenal. Uh, no, no, no. no. I, I grew up in Fulham, so ah, okay. my local team is Fulham. And we used to go and watch Chelsea and Fulham when I was a little boy. Yeah. But when I was a little boy, um, I, I never really liked Chelsea. Um, the but So Fulham was always my team, but they were always in the third division. So I used to support Fulham in the third division and Liverpool in the first division because, you know, TV makes everything local. And um, yep. I remember watching Kevin Keegan on the Superstars fall off his bike and he was so uh, brave and magnanimous about it. And I just completely fell head over heels in love with Kevin Keegan. I would have been seven at the time. And then literally that week or two weeks, and David Vine said to him at the end of the programme, good luck with Liverpool. And then a week or two later, I was switched on the telly, watched match of the day for the first time, and Kevin Keegan scored, and that was uh, the beginning of my
1: <laughs> supporting well,
0: Liverpool. So I support Liverpool in the first division and, and Fulham in the third.
1: Well, I'm a Liverpool fan, but there's two funny things you said there that people won't understand. I thought you were a Spurs fan. No, no, I fucking hate Spurs. I hate if you're oh, not okay. seeing. I like, always like, I hate them. Cause oh, my... I thought
0: that was a love thing. You, no, no, you were... no, I physically oh, can't okay. stand them.
1: Because I grew up, yeah, you know, I'm a, from Bedford. We don't have a team. I mean, some people support Luton, but if you, that's not for me. Um, uh, so I supported Liverpool just because they're one of the big teams on the TV. But a lot of my mates at school support Tottenham, and they never shut up talking about what a big team Tottenham are. Yet they've never won anything, and I've just grown to really hate them. But there's two things you said there that American listeners won't know about. You actually referred to the first division. <laughs> Which was what it was. Which they ruined it when they became the Premier League, because you have to say, well, there's the old First Division, and then we got the Championships, and then it's yeah, which is annoying. And superstars, which I only have vague memories of. Very
0: yeah. Well, it was probably before your time. I'm I'm 51. You know, they've destroyed football. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at the, the the terraces and so on and what an atmosphere was. And football was very political back in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, there was a real relationship between, you know, the the young bucks of the area would go and pay for the club and there was this real relationship between the club and the area. And, and you know, you just watch football now with with bloody these sound effects, you know, imposed. You just realise what a difference the fan makes. And you look at how players celebrate now, you know, in silence with mm-hmm. nobody cheering. It's just... It's COVID's destroyed football all the and but I you know but it was it's dying before so that sanitized football anyway. Say again.
1: Yeah, well it was dying before that. So one of the things I struggle with now is that you don't have the characters. Like I I think peak football for me, like for my age, was remember the era where it was like United and Arsenal just hated each other and you had Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira and yeah you know you had those real battles Ruven Van Nistelrooy and they you know they all hated each other but there was those real characters at play you know Tony Adams like we don't have characters anymore we've essentially eradicated the real characters in football now we just have a bunch of you know athletes and I, that's what I well, miss that's certainly true
0: I I think there's another dynamic there, though, which is how stuff goes. You watch the journey from stuff becomes reality, and then gradually it becomes history, and then it becomes turns into myth, and then it turns into legend and heroes mm. and all that. So, you know, at the time, I can remember every I mean, that was a great era, mm. the right the, that Arsenal, Man United. You know, it was, it was a great era. But at the time then, people were moaning about too many foreigners in the game. It wasn't as good as it was yeah. in the 70s. You know, oh, do you remember that time when Don Mackay held up Billy Bremner? If you look on YouTube, watch Liverpool play Leeds there's like five minutes of clips. Liverpool play Leeds in I think it was the seventy five charity shield, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the two teams literally kick the shit out of each. It's it's not even football. It's just like violence with occasional ball thrown in, wow. and you know Keegan and Keegan got sent off, but he was absolutely shafted. It was a terrible decision, and it's just one of the great. Um, you know Billy Bremner's kicking the shit out of Keegan and it's just great and everyone would have been you know when Man United were playing that they would have been pining for that then and now we'll probably look back and you know the gods will be Mohamed Salah and and Mm. Kevin De Bruyne and whatever
1: yeah so I did the search and as as I got to Leeds it brought it up Charity Shield 74 which is quite funny but that could be this privacy thing you're talking about it could have been you saying it going down
0: the pipes YouTube already knowing that's what I want oh my god (laughs) <laughs> it, that's just happening all the time. I know. Man. Last but, week, I was I was walking my dog last week, and I get occasionally I get blocked ears, and I so I googled an ear. I saw the video minute. Oh, I talked that- about that.
1: Yeah, so I saw that on your video on oh, your
0: sorry. Twitter. That one didn't
1: worry me. I'm like, yeah, I expect that. You do a search, you know, they share
0: your results. And it's fine, the one fine that it's being used to sell you stuff, but what else is it being used for? Yeah, no,
1: I, I get that. I mean, we can go into that. But I think the one that worried me is you had a conversation with your daughter about Timberlands. and Oh, yeah. You've not done a search online. You've just had a conversation. And it's like your phone in your pocket's picking that up and goes, ding, ding, he wants some Timberlands. That's the one that weirds me out, That, that you know, because... That must mean my phone's like recording me, yelling at my children <laughs> to do this oh for homework. sure it
0: is and 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 if you've got an Alexa that's listening like all the time um the the uh if you listen to I did a thread about it on Twitter I, I don't know about a year ago, but loads of people posted examples of similar shit that's happened to them it happens to everyone, and you know it gets you and and there's so many leading like for example, if you look at um Nice. Uh, there's lots of threads on Twitter about architecture, and people mm-hmm. post pictures of nice old buildings. And if you're the sort of person that looks at those pictures and likes old architecture, as opposed to brutalist modern architecture that you know I was complaining about by the river, but if you like the old stuff, it inevitably means apparently that you're right wing and you'll you'll vote conservative and whatever. Whereas if you like them don't mind the modern brutalist stuff, it tends to mean that you're left wing. And there's a well, really, safer Dean would uh, agree with you on that. Well, I mean, it's it's not it's not it, the point is is that algorithms can t- detect your political principles by the things you do that have nothing to do with politics. You but know, there is th- there is know. that
1: alignment in Bitcoin, right? Is, is that they talk about that you know time preference? Like if you're a Bitcoiner, you know you have um, a low time preference, therefore you appreciate. Uh, modern architecture actually i saw it when i went out to where was i it was in latvia in the center of latvia and just walking around and seeing uh was it latvia yeah it was the buildings the, the structure of the buildings looking at just the the fascias the the ornate decorating of the fascias when you know they built these buildings hundreds of years ago but then uh, like safer extrapolates it to like modern art so if you like modern art then you've got a high time preference and all modern art's bullshit and uh the difference between tape modern and you know Tate itself. Um, I don't buy
0: into all of that. Um, uh, well, I haven't. I haven't actually read Save Dean's stuff, so I don't know. But but I'm sure he's right. There's definitely you like you can tell. You know, uh, in in the same way you could tell what tribe somebody's in by the clothes they wear. Mm. You know, you you could tell a mod, and you know what mods think by the fact that he's wearing his jeans in a certain way or whatever it is. But, the, the, you, you know, by the things you like, by the things you buy, you... like. There's one, I can't remember what it is, and there'll be some guy listening who'll know better than me, but I think Facebook can ask you five questions, and by those five questions, it, it can make uh, more accurate decisions about you than your wife can.
1: <laughs> yeah, isn't that what um, Cambridge Analytica was using?
0: It's exactly what that game is.
1: yeah. Yeah, so they know how they could politically influence you, but I don't know how we get away from this. Like, I just don't know how we get away from this unless we somebody invents a new. Well, fire you've got two you go. choices.
0: One is you just go, you just swallow it, mm. and you just go, it's what it is. Uh, and the other is you use privacy tech. And you, you know, you don't use Google. You use DuckDuckGo. You don't use Facebook. You don't use have an Alexa. You use a an Android phone with some kind of blockchain based operating system on it, if it if that exists yet. But the the problem with privacy tech is you make sacrifices. You you know Google is a better search engine than DuckDuckGo. Yeah. Uh, it just is. And 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 Twitter and you know Amazon Alexas. They're really good. If you Mm -hmm. just want to walk into the kitchen and go, Alexa, play Radio 4, or not Radio 4, but, you know, play the the What Bitcoin Did podcast while I'm listening to my lunch, while I'm cooking my lunch, you know, it's just really good. And so, you know, privacy tech takes effort and it costs money. And most people aren't prepared to either make that effort or pay that money. So you go down the other route and, you know, you're being spied on and monitored. And at that point the issues of censorship and free speech and free thought. Because, you know, if society is to progress, you need to question accepted assumptions. Mm -hmm. And But a lot of this censorship argument that's going on at the moment won't allow you to question, even question accepted assumptions without, you know, trying to get you cancelled in some way. And so there are... And by the way, here's a really interesting little thing, another thing from Daylight Robbery for Mm -hmm. you. In ancient Rome... The magistrate responsible for monitoring, uh, for, for maintaining public morality, was the censor, as in that's where we get the word censorship from. He was also the tax collector, and uh, that's where we have this idea of a census. When when we people do a census, so that you, they know where you are in order. Mine came to through the, taxes. in the post.
1: Mine came through in the post yesterday. Oh, did it? Yeah. Well, that's it. the
0: modern census. That's to do with voting, not to do with taxes. But it, 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 ah. even so, they're, they're, they're linked. And so, for example, so there's, there's a link between, like taxation is a measure of freedom. Mm-hmm. The more taxed you are, the less free you are. The less of your own labour you own, the less free you are. The more of your own labour you own, the more free you are. And so if you want to basically get a quick idea of how free a society is. Just look at how much it's taxed. And, you know, the freest, most innovative, most progressive, most brilliant societies in history were almost all 10 to 15 20% of GDP as a, uh, as a percentage of taxation. Early Rome, ancient Greece, Britain in the uh, 1800s, America uh, uh, about, you know, 50 or 100 years ago. And then you look at the worst society, North Korea, you know, an ordinary labourer owns none of his own labour. And so, and by the way, you know, and a slave society is even worse because the slave doesn't even own his own body, let alone his own labour. But, and, and you know, slavery was a reality of the world until the 1800s. It still is a reality in certain parts of the world. But the the, so when I say, you know, ancient Rome or ancient Greece was wonderful, it was for the people that were citizens, but for the slaves, it wasn't quite so good. But anyway, yeah. but, you know, machines ended slavery, but... But coming back to this thing, so, so this technology, the invasion of technology, it, it isn't it isn't at the moment, but it potentially has the possibility to become a means to invade and prevent free speech and free thought and experimentation and everything else. Wow, I've got one for you to tell you about. Before
1: I forget it, just I've got my son here. Come on, come here a second. Say hello to Dominic Frisby.
0: Hello. So hello Sean. So
1: we, I, he's, because he, we're working from home and he's doing schooling, um, in the next room. I heard him having a bit of an argument with his teacher the other day. I can't hear him by uh, yeah, you can't hear him, but fair, bear with me. And and I was like, what was that all about? What's that lesson? Uh, it's like sex education. B- but what is it called? HPS? No, but that wasn't my lesson. Oh, no, no, what was? Yeah, yeah it but was what is? P S H E or that? P S H E. This lesson they have. And I heard him argue, I was so proud of him, because he came back and said, correct me if I'm wrong, I was like, what are you arguing about? He said, well, we're not allowed now, when they show the anatomy of a man and a woman, we're not allowed to say male or female, we have to say person with a penis or person with a vagina, because we don't want to offend if there's one child who maybe now like he has a penis but identifies as a woman, we can't offend him by saying male or female, because he'll say well, I'm not, you know, I'm not a female, I'm not a male. So they have to, and I was like, right. It's about they can't can't categorize them as a male. They can't, like, teach in a lesson and say, oh, you're a male if you have this, just in case they don't want to be like that. Take that. So now for, like, all the sheets they hand out, they have to put a person with penis and person with vagina. <laughs> and I'm like, this is ludicrous. I'm going to write to the school and say, this is ridiculous. I'm not having you teaching this, bollocks like, to my they're children. they're like 12-year-olds. Like, I hardly can see one of them, like, figuring out what they are already at that point anyway. But they're influential at that. You can highly influence them at that age. So I said to him, like, I'm going to write to the school. I said, this is nonsense. I'm not paying school fees for this to be taught. And he said, no, this is what they've been told by the government they can say.
0: Is this, is this a private school or a it's state school? It's a
1: private school. school. But I uh, when I asked her, she, I, I don't know the facts around oh, it. Right, okay. So I don't know if it is based on what our school, but I think it's government guidelines. I'm certainly not having it. Like, I, I mean, I don't care. Like, you know, if a kid wants to identify as a boy, I don't care. But I'm not having the facts of biology changed in a school
0: I'm paying fees for. Well, this is... this is. Um, i tell you who's very good on this is Taleb's very good on this. Uh, Mm. I know he's made some interesting calls on Bitcoin in the last couple of weeks, but he's very good on the power of minorities to influence the whole of a a group. And, um, you know, the NHS at the moment is, it now says in its literature about pregnancy, it says pregnant people. It doesn't say pregnant women. (laughs) I mean, just... And it's just this insane narrative. And it's it's built on bullshit. Mm. And it's built on this ability um like i think what happens is the left tend to take offense at everything everything's offensive to the left and to the right everything's an outrage and it's outrageous those are the two sort of this is an outrage this is offensive but the the it's 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 insane that women are no longer women and my daughter's um 18 in her final year of school and there's a boy Called Harvey in the year below her, who identifies, and she's a boarding school, and he identifies as a woman, so everyone has to call Harvey she, and she now gets changed in the women's changing rooms at school, and you're like, she's got a cock, <laughs> you know, it's 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 nuts, but but yeah, uh, I mean that's I'd, where we are.
1: I'm trying to be sensitive and if you, to you and
0: it. it won't be long, by the way, for you know if if what we've just talked about invasive technology goes full. Aldous Huckley, Aldous Huckley and fool mm. George Orwell before we're not even allowed to have this conversation.
1: Well, that that, that concerns me and I wonder how far we're, we're off that. Uh, and I am trying to be sensitive to the issues because I'm sure there are people who you know feel like they're in the wrong, wrong body and that's fine, I get that. And and do you know what? I also think, it, it, you know, there are certain people like to actually deal with this is quite a brave thing because it's you know must be quite torturous if you're, especially as a, you know, Let's forget even children. Let's say an adult who decides, you know, I'm in the wrong body, and they, they, you know, know, man decides he wants to be a woman, wears a dress, probably gets pointed at, laughed. You know, it's it's a brave thing to do. I don't care. I'm trying to be sensitive to it, but at the same time, the basic facts of biology being changed, I have an issue with. This is just this is scientific fact, and we're changing it for this kind of new woke culture, and I, I just. It's really starting to bother me, um, and I don't know how you strike the right balance. I, I, I mean, I guess you will say you just have to go back to f- free speech. You have to just have the
0: well, um, you know, it, it, all these things build out: free speech, f- free markets, free, free move, choice, yeah. low taxes, free movement, and and it it again, it's Bitcoin solves this because the government wouldn't have the power to spread these, impose these narratives on the education system. Uh, you know, if government was less involved in education, which it would be if it didn't have the power to print money and so on and so forth, so all these they all come back to the same, um, the same free narrative.
1: Um, yeah, can we get there though? Because uh, I sometimes look at the the US as as being one of the, in some ways, in some ways, one of the freest places. At least they have First Amendment protection, but it also seems to be like the biggest shit show there is, right now. So, like, can we get there? Yeah, how do we get there? Like, do, because I, I hear all the libertarian arguments, and I hear all the free market, free, and like, I, you know, theoretically, I agree with all of it. I just sometimes work in, in practice. How does this play out?
0: Well, I, I'm not entirely sure, but this is a dance that has gone on again since forever. Yeah, and as as the new technology develops and the new means to 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 impose the dance uh, go on. But there's there's just, you know, ever since ancient times, there's been this battle between those who advocate freedom and free speech and experimentation and free thought and all the rest of it, and those who would impose their narrative and restrain your freedoms. And it's, you know, it's an endless dance. And in some countries, some places win and in other countries, um, you know, in other nations, you know and also to where they are in whatever the evolution of the cycle, you know you look at ancient Rome, the Roman Republic was a brilliant civilization, and then the um the Roman Empire was a very decadent you know so that each one goes through its own little cycle and we're just going through another one of those cycles, and in some places freedom, the free thing will win, and in other places it will lose America, what America has going for it that no other country has is this thing where it's got the 50 different states yeah. competing with each other. Yeah, And so if the laws get really stupid in one place, for example, California or New York, people can do what Elon Musk did and just go to Texas. And, and, and you know, Texas, I believe, has pretty much opened up. Mm. coronavirus well, they, No, they have. The, um,
1: the governor's just removed the face uh, mask mandate, opened up businesses. I think he even mandated that by 15th of March, schools have to be open.
0: Yeah. But so, you know, and you know, or you can do what Florida did, you know, have no income tax in Florida, or very low levels of income tax. The problem is there is still income tax at the federal level. Yeah. But America at least has that thing where, so it's a bit like, you know, if you go back to Renaissance Italy, um, and you have the city states in Renaissance Italy. If one of them, you know, Florence got really corrupt, then everyone can just go to Venice. Or if Venice got too bad, then they can go to Genoa. So there's a bit of that can apply, but there is still this federal Uber group and Führer. Well,
1: it's the, re- it's, America- the it's the regulatory arbitrage. Sorry to interrupt. It, 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 okay. That that they've had for a long time, but it's never been really exploited. But when you mentioned about earlier. People realizing they can work anywhere and leave in London. I think this is the one of the benefits of the pandemic is people have realized actually, I don't need to live in San Francisco where I can get shouted at by a crackhead because uh, uh, because local the local law enforcement isn't like dealing with these issues. I can, or if I've got uh, problems with my business or if there's I don't like the tax, I, I can move. Like you said, Elon Musk. There is that migration of people from San Francisco who are moving to Miami or Wyoming or Austin, like. There is this, and so we're starting to see it actually play out. And do you know what? Even with this federal problem, these people might go, well, do you know what? I'll just leave the country. I'll go to the Cayman Islands or I'll go to Estonia. Like, I think we're starting to see, it's, uh, Balaji talks about the 10,000 city thesis, that there are a group of people, not everyone can do it. You can do it. I can do it. We can actually start considering where we're going to live based, based on these rules. So perhaps, perhaps
0: finally we, we have that exit well we we do have that exit it's hard it's easier when you're younger yeah um but the again this is another thing i i twat on about in daylight robbery but the fastest like the tax system was built around a uh, an industrial age where physical goods moved from A to B and it was all in the physical world and the, the worker went from his home to the to the workplace. And that's how the whole tax system's devised. And it just hasn't been able to cope with the rise of the digital economy where, you know, the IP's in one place and the product's delivered in another, but the pr- good is manufactured. Mm. It just hasn't been able to cope with with... And the digital economy as a result, of, partly because of the fact that there's just so little government involvement, it's just grown at this incredible rate. There's no there's no government involvement in, in the Bitcoin eco-structure. And so the crypto community has just explored and developed. And if you just look at where crypto is now to where it is 10 years ago, you know, that huge expansion is, a lot of that has been made possible by the fact that there's no restriction. It's the Wild mm-hmm. West. And so and, and and the same thing's happened with, 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 you know, the entire digital economy since probably the mid to late 1980s. And it used to be that non-DOM status was the preserve of the very rich. But technology has now made it possible that anyone can be a non-DOM. And the governments around the world, the largest source of tax is income tax. 50% mm-hmm. of government revenue derives from income tax. Where you know, a person had a fixed job, he had that job for 10 or 20 or 30 years, the taxes is deducted at source, it works, it's an easy tax to collect. But with the rise of the gig economy, and freelance workers and contingent workers, um, it's much harder to collect taxes, because you have to collect taxes after the event. And that relies on, you know, so people find all sorts of expenses to write off against their tax, or they don't declare their taxes properly, either deliberately or through accident. But one way or another, they end up paying much lower levels of tax and it's harder for governments to collect. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on, you know, the rise of the contingent worker. Now, the estimates are, from Ernst & Young, that by 2050, uh, sorry, 2030, so 10 years from now, half of the workforce in the USA will be contingent, freelance. That's a huge number. and. And and COVID has accelerated it. Remote working. You know, I, you could, I can do like I'm. I've always been Mr. Freelancer. But so I don't. Maybe I'm not a good example. But you know, I can do a bit of comedy. I'll, I'll do a Zoom gig this evening. I'll write a song this afternoon. I'm doing your podcast now. I will write an article later on. That's four different jobs. And you know, loads of people moonlight. They just do do that. People are entrepreneurial. They want to earn as much money as possible. So we're we're just seeing this huge rise now. Of those contingent workers, a lot of them will go, oh, well, I don't need to live in London, I don't even need to live in New York, I don't even need to live in San Francisco. Um, and a and lot of them start working from home, or they go to the, in the old days you could go to the cafe and start working from there. And then you go, like I phoned up a friend of mine who's a solicitor, and uh, he had this stupid background on his Zoom thing. Uh, and I was like, well, why, are you, why have you got a spaceship as your background? And he said, oh, I don't want people to know where I am. So I said, where are you? And I, he said, I'm in my house in the south of France. And I said, how long have you been there? He said, we, we, we went here last February and we haven't come back. And, you know, this is a solicitor who's supposed to be operating a London practice. And so he's just gone, do you know, in, he's gone to the south of France because it's nicer. And, 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 you know, taxes are only going to go up uh, as a result of all the government spending in in covid whether it's through inflation or debt or which are all forms of taxes or just you know regular vat and we saw yesterday you know he put corporation tax up from 19 to 25% rishi sunak and people say oh, that's only a 6% rise it's 6 percentage points yep. but it's a 30% rise you know and Lowest that's in an the g7 though <laughs> That's what his claim is. Only just. Only just. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's just bullshit. And apparently everyone in Ireland's like, hooray, you stupid plums. And, And so, you know, corporations will go to Ireland, like they keep doing. And, and Irish people, uh, the Irish will benefit from that. But loads of workers are going to go. Like Greece is saying to people, if you come to Greece, all you have to do is buy a house in Greece, and it's I think it's ninety thousand euros or something like that minimum spend, and you can become a Greek citizen. And Greece, Greece has much lower levels of uh, income tax than other places in the world, and it has a, a, a rich tradition of not paying any tax at all. And so the. Um, you know, so people are gonna to go to Greece, people are gonna to go to Cyprus. I was on the phone to Raoul Paul the other day, and he said he's he's yeah. so many people are trying to go to the to the Cayman Islands at the moment. Yeah, he's trying and to pull all... it to me. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah. So so there's a there's a big um there's just an you you will see, and there's a guy called what's his name, Peter. I forget his name, but he does a fantastic presentation about digital nomads, the rise of digital nomads. And you know we'll go to you know we'll go to Mexico because Mexico's open oh no no, we'll go to Texas Texas is open do you know what I fancy Cartagena let's go down to Colombia oh I'd love to go to Thailand let's go and so you see the rise of this new digital nomad and so the global population in 2035 will be about nine billion of mm-hmm. which about six billion will be workers. Of that 6 billion workforce, if Ernst & Young's projections are right, roughly half of the global workforce will be freelance one way or the other, which is 3 billion workers. Of those one 3 billion workers, 1 billion will be effectively non-domiciled. They'll be digital nomads. And when you go from one country to the other and you don't spend more than half a year in any given place, it becomes very difficult to actually... It just becomes, it's just a nightmare knowing who to pay tax to. Even if you want to be compliant, mm-hmm. who do I pay tax to where it's just a nightmare to work it out. A lot of people just go back to their original country of birth, but a lot of people feel no loyalty to their original country of birth because it's its the shit taxes and the cost of living that drove them to leave in the first place. Exactly. Of these digital nomads, of these 1 billion digital nomads, already over 50% of digital nomads transact in the crypto economy. So they're all going to, and, and that's only going to grow. If 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 you if I'm paying you, and if I'm in in in. Um You know, Cyprus and you're in Texas, and I've got to pay you to do a job or I want to advertise on your podcast or something. The easiest way to pay you is via crypto. It just is. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the money for cross-border payments. The internet is borderless, so is crypto borderless. And so more and more people are going to use crypto. Crypto is hard for governments to taxes and regulate, almost impossible, in fact, because the the point of it is apolitical. And so you just see this huge rise in this huge workforce, and everything that um, Lord Rees-Mogg said in Sovereign individual. I was about to say, these, this is just the sovereign individual. Two, it's pure sovereign individual. And you're going to get these two classes of people in the future. You're going to get these sovereign digital people who flip from country to country. And if Colombia starts getting really arsy about its taxes, fine. I'll go to Thailand. If Thailand gets arsy, I'll go to Texas. Whatever. And so that will force countries to sort their game out and, and become more compliant. And already there's, there are cities in China that are being designed specifically to accommodate sovereign individuals to attract this new workforce. Or you're going to have these people stuck in the physical economy, and we all have to clap for the NHS every every day at eight o'clock, and we all have to do all the things. And And the governments won't be able to tax... The digital economy as easily. So they will put their burdens on the physical economy, and the physical economy will pay the price. And those that can't move will have lower standards of living, higher taxes, and they'll be more trapped. And so it's 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 a this is the situation we're going into. And those nations that adapt to this new world will be the ones that fare best, and those that don't will go down the bloated government lack of growth route. And America coming back to the original premise of the question, is caught between the two. It sort of has digital nomadery between states, but, you know, there is this really powerful statist narrative, and I don't think it's the majority view, but as Taleb's shown, mm. it doesn't matter if it isn't the majority view, that it's taken hold. So you've got this transgender health secretary, and Rand Paul's trying to tell her that, you know, men and women are different, and and but no, it's my right to be a woman or whatever. But, you know, and you've got this... Cortez AOC, whatever her name is, and this powerful left-wing thing. And, and you know, the Democrats are in power and they've now got control of Congress and they are very much prone, you know, susceptible to all these narratives. And the technocrats like that, these narratives because it enables them to increase government control. So it's this, as I keep saying, it's this dance that's gone on since the good of time, but this is how the new dance is unfolding. And those that can become digital and become nomadic and not be bound to one state, I I can only advise you, you're going to have a much better life that way, Um, much freer, much richer, much more inventive. And then you go, ah, well, yeah, but when they have kids, they'll want to settle down. They'll want one place. Yes, they will want to settle down, but now we're seeing technology solve this, where we're seeing, um, I know a guy who's trying to raise money at the moment for like WeWork, but for schools. So you become a member of WeWork, and while you're in Colombia, you send your kids to WeWork, you know, WeWork University in Colombia. And if you move to Chiang Mai, well, then he goes to WeWork in Chiang Mai. Nice. Do, do you see what I mean? And, and and you know, the market will find a solution, and it, and, it, and it is. Well, I mean, there's so many things we can unpack here. I mean, firstly, I was chatting to my
1: brother last night. My brother's come to work for me. He hated his job. He was a transport planner. I was like, let's come and work with me. And... Uh, but my brother's historically historically been a labour supporter big tony blair supporter. he used to be, have big rows of my my father but in working with me i've been said look you've got to shed some of this labour stuff because you know I'm, I'm involved in bitcoin um if politically if we're anywhere there's certainly some right-leaning and items but we're certainly not a, we don't certainly do support uh, the state you know i'm trying to get him to shed this this old skin of his and he you know and it and it's happening but he said he said look the reality is Everybody has a utopian view of how they think the world should run. He said, I just accept it's chaos now. It's just chaos. Yeah, you know, and, and there's swings and roundabouts and just you can't you can't change it. You know, you you can't. You just he said, I accept this chaos. Which I thought was kind well, of Well, that's nice. a yeah. very
0: that's a very zen attitude and it's one that I admire. It surprised me. And but there is there you're absolutely right. Everyone's got their own view of what utopia should be. And we're in an almighty cultural, ideological Battle at the moment to impose a certain worldview. And everyone's, you know, the Bitcoiners, and, and it's, I'm, I'm on their side. I'm a Bitcoiner. It's a, I, you know, think it's the low state, whatever model is the best one. Small state, I should say. And then there's a massive statist thing that believes in the magic money tree and you can print money and we need to spend more on schools and we need to spend more on education, never mind how inefficient government provision of those services is. We need to spend more of, on them. And, you know, that narrative in the US and in throughout Europe is extremely strong. And if, I would, in fact, go as far as say it has control at the moment. But you can't... Technology... Is is fighting back? Well, I still in have a the problem with Bitcoin and so on.
1: Like, even with education, though, and even though my children in private education, I still think it's shit now. Like all I think is, is it's a better quality of teaching. But it's and and you know, good access to the arts, which I'm really glad about. Um, but still, it's still crap. What they're teaching is still crap. It's still outdated. It's still. I was watching the. um I was watching the Billie Eilish documentary with the kids last night on Apple. I'm not sure if you've seen it. And it's quite fascinating. It's, it's, it's sad because this girl obviously has depression issues, which is really sad. And she's thrown into the limelight. But partway through it, she talks about the, that, you know, someone's interviewing her and talks about schooling. She's like, well, I've never, never been to school. You know, I was homeschooled. And I was just thinking, this is why you're so talented and creative because you had all this time to focus on your music with your brother and write music and focus on, some, focus on something different. Whereas I'm just lost with my children. about the, A lot of the things they're being taught is just an absolute waste of time now. Um, but I, you know, I, certainly my ex-wife wouldn't be keen on them leaving. And my son's too old to leave now anyways in his A-level period. No, uh, he's not. Period. Well, I'm just saying, like, he's got one year to go and he's got... No, get him out. Well,
0: um, now. Um,
1: uh, Put him out to now. Brian. Well,
0: <laughs> I did... I did um, I, I say this, in my other book, Life After State, I advocate, um, I do a whole chapter about the history of education yeah. and how bad education has become. And you teach a subject like chemistry and you teach the whole thing in theory and it's completely divorced from reality. And kids are like, why am I learning this stuff? What's this got to do with the world? But but once you actually put, if you just, you know, one a lot of the evidence, there's a whole movement of people that... that they don't even teach their kids anything. They just go about their daily lives and the kids just learn by mm. doing. And, you know, you know, you learn basic maths just by going to the shop and buying something and doing your adding and taking away or going to the market and buying a pound of apples or whatever. And the same thing happens with physics and, and languages. You know, you don't formally learn a language. If you want to learn French, well, go and live in France for a year and you can learn French. You know, it's, it's done generically and naturally. I'm not necessarily advocating that because I think there's a, a definite place for formal learning. But the, you know, and now with, since the rise of home education this year, now 10% of families apparently saying they're not going to send their kids back to school. Mm. When 10%, that's an extraordinary number. Before it was like 2%. Another one who was home educated, Caitlin Moran, you know, I, I don't necessarily particularly like her, but she's an extraordinarily tarant- talented woman. And, you know, she's a product of home education. And, it it makes you focus on what you're good it makes you focus on what you're interested in and what you're in once you do what you're interested in it no longer becomes work then it becomes you know i only do jobs that i'm interested in and it's they're not work because i'm interested in them and so but the reason i say get your son out is is my son uh who was in his final year of um, A levels, we had this ridiculous run-in with his maths department. He was—he was quite good at maths, right? He wasn't like, you know, the next Alan Turing or something, but he was quite good. And given that his mother and I are both pretty much mathematically illiterate, um, you know, it was—it was organic. It was natural. It wasn't because he had it imposed on him in the family. And he got an A star in his GCSE, and they put him in the top set. Of his school, and his school had imported all these. They had a deal with Asia, and they'd imported all these Chinese, Korean kids who'd all been hot housed. were all mathematical geniuses and had all done the course already, and were correcting the teachers. And it was like my son and all these Asian kids, and he just totally fell behind, fell out of love with maths, and wanted to give it up. And I was like, No, no, you were good at maths. You shouldn't give it up. And maths is really useful. Anyway, he ended up getting an E in his in his um end of year exam and they said he had to repeat the year and I'm not I'm not fucking having him repeating the year and um we got a tutor in and the tutor started teaching him a little bit and the tutor said no no he's perfectly good he picks it up really quickly he'll get an A in his A level and we were like really and anyway then then he had to do these retakes in August and he failed those having worked really hard in the summer and then the math department were real assholes about it and then we found out that they'd set him twice as many questions as they should in one paper there'd been a cock up and so uh, and then I mean, I discovered this and I pointed it out to the teachers and there was a huge apology and they said oh sorry uh, in that case we we'll mark we're upgrading him to a B mm-hmm. and then by this point my son was like please don't send me back to that school and this was like 2 days in September 2 days before the wow. beginning of term so I thought all right I won't force you to go back there I'll get some, I went on a website called tutor hunt and found some tutors um, in the meantime, while we tried to find him another school. And the three tutors were all three kids from the local university, King's University up the road in London, who were all um, looking to supplement their university studies by tutoring. And they each charged, charged 25 quid an hour. And they were like the best ranked tutors. The equi- they had the equivalent of Amazon five star reviews on Tutor Hunt. They were the best ranked tutors. And we had one kid teach him um, maths and one teach. Uh, kid teach him geography and another kid teach him economics and then after a couple of weeks and they came to our house or my son went and met them in Wetherspoons and they did lessons in Wetherspoons or he went and met them in some cafe and my t- son got a taste of the university he was going around the university because they had some of the lessons and he was mixing with the university a little bit and, and after a couple of re- weeks I thought actually do you know what this is better than school and it's costing me less money <laughs> so I just carried on with it and I didn't bother trying to look from another school we just carried on and then we found some local exam centres and he did his exams through the exam centres there which were a bit of a shit show I have to say but nevertheless he got through and he got his grades and he got an A in maths as the guy said he would and he's now at Bristol University doing economics which is you know nice. perfectly respectable university and so you know there's no reason why everyone can't do the same well I mean there's a, there's a slightly different Well not everyone but yeah, those that have the means
1: there's a slightly different complexity in that he does the art so he's got access to this art department um and he's also doing uh, drama so he's w- working alongside other kids uh, Okay producing That's, that is pieces. Different. Yeah and that is a different scenario uh, you know if he was doing just just the academic subjects um I did try and get him into um a creative school uh but but I am also at the same time with my daughter thinking, I know, I know you
0: don't enjoy school. She
1: doesn't enjoy any look of the
0: at, lessons. Look at um, Rochester International College. Okay. I had the but, same thing with my daughter and um, my eldest daughter. Uh, and the uh, for the exact same reason, I didn't want a home educator in her final year, partly because we'd drive each other insane in the house, but partly because she was doing art subjects. And uh, you can do all your A levels in a year there, Rochester International College, and it well, she's is 11, so it's a bit young for that. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So, but just look at it anyway. Even even for you know, it goes. It starts at eight, age eight. It is the best school ever.
1: Well, I'm just thinking like she's eleven, so she's going to qualify in seven. Yeah, she's going to leave school in seven years. God knows where we're at <laughs> in terms of the world right now. Uh, uh, in seven years. Um, I know she doesn't enjoy the work. She's sat there. She's just not enjoying it. Just like...
0: My youngest son's 14 and he's going absolutely spare.
1: Yeah. You know, and you know, she did the other... Yeah, this is really sweet. So it's a funny story. So we fi- we finished watching that film last night. We watched it in two parts because there's an intermission. And afterwards, my son said, tell Dad the song you wrote. And uh, I was like, yeah, what? Tell me. And she was like, no, she got all embarrassed. He was like, it's really funny, Dad. Four years ago, I wrote a song and she's just written one. She's written the lyrics. I was like, and he said, Look, I'll read mine. <laughs> His was, uh, it was all right. It was great. She wouldn't do it. I was like, okay. So I had to, learn, I had to like, I had to rap to her as like a uh, as a as a deal. I was like, okay, well, I was when I was seventeen, I was in a rap band, as 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 you do when you're white and middle class. I joined a rap band, and so I had to like rap for her. And then she, eventually, she gets out, and she reads it, and honestly, I'll, we'll meet up one day and I'll show you what she wrote. And it kind of blew me away because it had structure and had emotion to it. And I was like, you've sat there and you've watched this story of this girl's career. And you've been inspired, and you are off your own back have gone upstairs, and you've written something. That's more important than any schoolwork you've done. This is something that was a bit of passion to you. Yet every day I'm getting you up for school, and you're like, oh, and you sat down in front of your laptop, you know, speaking to your teacher with the other teachers, and you you can't wait for it to be done because you want to go and do something else. And I'm just, it's just a real eye opener to me that we're definitely handling this all wrong.
0: Do you know what a lot of that is? It's and again, it comes back to this tax thing I keep harping on about. It's because she did what she did on a voluntary basis. Yeah. There you go. You you watched the Billie Eilish film together mm-hmm. on a voluntary business. You were you were inspired and you were educated by it. And so everything was done voluntarily because you were interested. Whereas when you're at school, you are it's not voluntary. You're told to do this. It is imposed on you. And as soon as you introduce that dynamic, you know, some kids don't mind. Some kids will respond anyway. Some kids will be like, well, I'm interested anyway. But there are others who that process of forced learning is far less effective than voluntary learning. And the same applies to taxes.
1: Next up, I talked to Dominic more about Bitcoin, tax and government. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing sponsors. And don't skip them. Can't do this without my sponsors. Okay, we're kicking off today with Kraken, my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin, and the only place I am using right now for buying and selling Bitcoin. Now, why is that? It's just because they're a sponsor, right, Pete? Well, no, it's not just that. It's because they're consistently rated the best and most secure crypto exchange. And as you know, security is really important to me. They also have the best in class in customer service. So if you have an issue, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you reach out to them, they are going to get that fixed for you. And if you want to start trading Bitcoin, they have all the tools you could possibly need. So whatever your level of experience, if you head over to Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile-first app, so you can trade Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading, futures, and OTC desk, Kraken has every option cover for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find it more at kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Next up, we have my friends, BlockFi, who are killing it as ever. Now, they had a massive announcement before Christmas. I told you all about this because I'm very, very excited. They are about to launch their Visa Rewards credit card, which will offer a market-leading 1.5% rewards rate in Bitcoin on all card purchases. So on every single purchase you make, you can stack Sats. And this has now been opened up to the public. The public waitlist is open. Now anyone, regardless of whether they have a BlockFi account or not, is eligible to join. If you want to find out more, you need to head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And lastly today is my newest sponsor, which is Ledger, the very first hardware wallet I ever used. Back in early 17, when I first got into Bitcoin, I needed a hardware wallet and I got myself a Ledger Nano S. And I am still using that bad boy today. Still works perfectly today. Not only that, with a Nano S, if you've got an Android phone, you can securely manage your Bitcoin on the go. I'm a huge fan of this product for two main reasons. Firstly, the device itself, obviously it's robust. It's super easy to use, but also the supporting software, Ledger Live, which connects with the device, makes it really easy for managing your Bitcoin. If you are interested in checking this out, if you want to check out a Ledger wallet, head over to ledger.com, which is L E D G E R.com. Well, that leads me to another question then, because you said your son is going, is studying economics. Was it Bristol, did mm-hmm. you say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've obviously talked to him about the Bitcoin thing. Yeah. Well, I studied economics he at A-level. He buys level. weed with it. Good lad. <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope he shares it. Um, I, I studied economics I at A-level. <laughs> you have to nick it from him. So I studied economics at A-level. And I was taught micro and macroeconomics as two separate uh, kind of subjects. And uh, the macro world was very much based on you know, Keynesian theory, which I've come to study Bitcoin. And it's like, well, that's all suddenly bullshit. So is, is he going into economics as this kind of rebel... Bitcoiner slash Austrian economist in there is he debating
0: or arguing it? Like how's he handling that? No, he isn't. And um, I have to say, he finds it boring as hell, <laughs> and he, he he's absolutely hating it. Particularly the the maths that they teach him—that sort of right. econo maths, which isn't real maths. And um, so he, I, I, I'm not sure how long he's going to last. To be honest. Yeah and yep. if he can find something else that interests him I'll encourage him to do it. I he's heard me ranting at the dinner table uh about you know relentlessly about anything to do with free markets free this free that free money and so on. And you know before I was a bitcoin bug I was a massive massive and I still am actually a massive massive gold bug. Um and it was gold that got me into bitcoin in the first place. Mm. And I still got I still own you know quite a bit of gold and a lot of gold shares and and you know, I mean, I just despair because it's, the whole sex has been a total disaster for ten years. And well, why, why in is 2011, that? Twenty eleven. I should. I should. Um, a million different reasons. I, I, I'll talk about that in a yeah, sec. I'll okay. just answer the question about about my son. So he's 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 had it all by osmosis, and I think you now he's mixed race. My son, um, and my, my eldest two are mixed race. My youngest two aren't. But males and and so he gets the whole. You know, when this whole Black Lives Matter thing kicked off last year, he he was he un, he understood that in a way that I was quite proud of him because he was just like, "This is bollocks. This is not about what it's about." And you know, he looks around him at the sort of higher social hierarchies of of you know Southeast London where we live, and he's just like, "This is this is," you know. So he's quite able to think. Contrarily, without me forcing him to think contrarily, you know, and it takes quite a lot of balls to go against in the to go against that Black Lives Matter narrative, mm. you know, particularly last summer. You know, it, it really does take to stand up to it. So, you know, I admire him for doing that, and I think he thinks a lot of what he's taught in economic, and it's all Keynesian bullshit he's taught. Yeah. And and I've looked at the, all the professors there, and they're all you know left wing nut jobs, and so. Um, but I just hope you know he'll discover the whole Austrian stuff as he gets older, and it'll make sense to him. Um, but I, I've, my sort of instruction was him in just play the game. Uh, you know, if they if they argue for some left thing, just repeat their ideology back at them. You'll get better marks that way, and uh, um, and then you can you can learn the the truth stuff later on. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's
0: funny that influence you can have on your own children. Well, um, tell me the gold thing. Yeah. So. I wrote my first book, Life After This. Well, I wrote a film called uh, Four Horsemen, uh, which was very popular a few years ago. And, and it's a you know a Bible for a lot of people. And it's all about the global financial crisis and how we're going to save the world. Uh, I narrated it as well. Um, and if we're going to save the world, we need to change our system of money. And the guy I wrote it with was much more lefty than me. So anyway, so this film was very popular and it was advocating, I think it did a really... Good job in educating people about the flaws of our money system and what it leads to, and so on. And it was a, it was very successful. And as a result of that, I wrote my first book, Life After the State. And I'm pretty sure Life After the and and the whole argument of Life After the State is if we're to, we need to take control. Governments lead to lose control of the money system, and until, while they have power over money, and while they have the power to create money, their role in our lives will be too big. Hold on, when and did you write changes, that? Life After the State, 2012, yeah.
1: 2013. Right, okay. for you,
0: was about 2011, 2012.
1: Were you already exposed to Bitcoin when you wrote Laughter, Life After the State?
0: I, I got my first email about Bitcoin in December 2010, when it was 22 cents. Oh, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's not do that conversation. And, uh,
0: <laughs> and um, oh, don't get me on. I mean, uh, like, I've done really well out of Bitcoin, but I've not done. I should be a billionaire, and I'm not.
1: Well, we all have that. We, we all have that story. Yeah,
0: I mean, exactly. And I, I had quite a few. I mean, like, I've got sidetracked again. But I got yeah. it was it was twenty two cents, and I didn't. I I remember reading the email, and it was about an article in PC World. It was like one of the first articles about it. I thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea, and then I forgot about it. And but because I. Um, of the Four Horsemen. And because I had my column in Money Week when I'd been twatting on about gold and fiat money for seven or eight years, and I had a big podcast at the time, loads of people going, you've got to look at this thing called Bitcoin. You've got to look at this thing called Bitcoin. And then and then people started sending me them. <laughs> but at the time, gold and gold shares were doing so well. I was like, yeah, 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 but it's all gold, gold, gold. That the, They should invent a gold-backed Bitcoin and that, that'll be fine. That's going to solve it. You know, really <laughs> just totally didn't get it. Uh, but then people started, so I built up quite a reasonable haul by people trying to get me into it. And then I watched the price and it kept doubling. It was like $1 to $2, $2 to $4, $4 to raise. I'm not fucking buying this. I'm not buying something after it's doubled like that. Yeah. And um, Dope. you know, so I kept thinking like that. And then um they invented these physical bitcoins. I remember they had the, these the physical sa- bitcoins the, and they were it, on, on. coins? Circacious coins. I can't remember what they're called. Yeah. And they were they were on eBay and they were like, $18, $15 or something, and Bitcoin itself was trading around $15. I forget the precise amount. And I was like, okay, I'm going to buy. I understand physical Bitcoins. I'm going to buy physical Bitcoins. So I started sticking in stink bids on eBay. I always try and be clever on auctions. And, mm-hmm. and of course, the, the ones on eBay went for a premium to what the Bitcoin price is. So I was like, I'm not buying. That's that's just um, ripoff. So I kept missing it. It kept doubling. And then eventually I was like, ah, oh. but I still had quite a decent hoard just for people giving to me. And and then I got a few. And then that was it. I think it went it went to 32 dollars. 32, yeah. And then it went all the way back to like two dollars or something. And I was like, ah, oh, it's fucked. I'm not buying that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a fucking idiot. I did the and same. Then,
1: not, but mine and then was 2013. It,
0: okay, but then but then it went. I think it went from 30... And then it went to, like, I missed it again, basically. It was so quick. When it moves, it moves so quickly. And then it went all the way to a 1000 uh, the same price. It was, like, to $1,200 or something. It was that was the 17 same price as No, sorry, that was $2. 2013. Yeah. And and at that point, I was like, oh, my God. I've got to write a book. And, and in Life After the State, which I wrote in 2012 there was like two or three pages about Bitcoin. And I said, you know, if if we're going to save the world, we need to change our system of money. And it's gold, 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 gold. Maybe it's this new thing called Bitcoin, two or three pages about Bitcoin. And that'll be the, I'm sure that is the first mention of Bitcoin in a proper book, Life After The State. And then literally as, And as I was, as Life After the State was then published, Bitcoin then went to twelve hundred dollars, and I was like, "Fuck, I've got to, you know, I've got to make up for the fact that I've missed the Bitcoin boat by being like the guru about Bitcoin." So I wrote that Bitcoin: The Future of Money in twenty fourteen, and I'm sure that's the first book about Bitcoin from a recognised publisher. Um, And it it came out, and it came out, but it came out in that first crypto winter when Bitcoin went from twelve hundred to like two. Two hundred and everyone was in despair. They'd given up on Bitcoin, um, and I remember we we tried to get it published in America, and the Americans were like, "No, no, Bitcoin's over." We've got another book about Bitcoin coming out next year, which was that uh, Nathaniel Popper book, Digital Gold or something. Yeah, uh, Digital Gold. And, and so they were like, it. "No, no, we've already got we've already got the Bitcoin book." So it never got proper release in America. So it never, you know, I, I never. But the book was written as a catch up trade. I thought I'll become the guru about Bitcoin, even though I haven't made as much money out of it, and then. And then when the book came out, <laughs> and then I obviously became a sort of target in the space and I got hacked. Oh. And um, I remember I went to this big Bitcoin dinner and everyone at the Bitcoin dinner got hacked. And, you know, so my whole f- little fortune that I did have, even that went. And so I've got this, you know, I, I mean, I've since bought back in and I'm doing very well and I've yeah. had lots of great speech and everything else, but I'm afraid I'm in the category... Like I saw, I read yesterday about this guy—the first big hack in Bitcoin. He had five hundred thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin nicked, uh, and he. Had, but that was twenty-five thousand bitcoins. Jesus! Now, twenty-five thousand bitcoins would be over a billion dollars yeah. worth. Now, because I got hacked and I lost my, you know, what would be several million pounds worth today. Um, you know, when that when it went to that one, when it went to twenty thousand dollars. I used to wake up and have sleepless nights of regret about how rich I could have been. Probably <laughs> it would have been tens of millions. Um, and But imagine being one of those guys who lost 25,000 coins or one of the people in MT Gox. They were right. They bought their Bitcoins. They got in early. Mm. They saw it coming and they had them nicked. And, you know, you know there are people who have committed suicide as a result of this.
1: Well, there's that British guy who's got it all in the tip. <laughs> he's got
0: 7000 bitcoin in a tip <laughs> yeah well he's become a Bit- bitcoin cash advocate so yeah, you know probably, it does yeah. terrible things to you and the 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 but you know he's still still funny. he still loves it and he works in the space but you know all those people that had their coins stolen one way or another or you know there are people who bought at 50 cents and sold at $5 and made 10 times their money look whoa, you know what Oops. mistake so th- this is why the whole hodl narrative has come around because you just do not sell um, even like, I tried to be clever the other day I, when it was at 58,000 and it just pulled back. I thought, oh, this is going tits up. So I sold a few coins and I had my orders to buy back at 42,500. Oh, you, you were close. 43,000. <laughs> you and were I'm close. And I'm good technical analysis and I thought, yeah. I, I did the whole thing. I'll give myself a bit of leeway and I missed it and now it's gone back to 51,000 and it's it's at the same price that i You know, there was just trying me trying to be clever and, and trade it and I'm good technical analyst. There are lots of people who are worse than me and so you're just can't fuck around with it. No, you've you just can't. Dis- you just got to own it and swallow.
1: Yeah, I had uh, <laughs> back in seventeen. I had at one point. I saw you had
0: one hundred and fifty bitcoins. Well, didn't
1: you? It, actually, it was a bit more. It was about one hundred and eighty. But that's that's not in, just in Bitcoin. That's in Bitcoin or altcoins valued in Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. And then I bought half a million dollars of mining equipment and lost money on that. And then I uh, ended up the shit coins having to sell them at a loss. And then I was stuck in this contract for my mining where I was having to pay off in Bitcoin, and I lost yeah the majority of it. But like I've rebuilt myself. I've you know I'm okay. I'm, I'm I'm I accept it. Like it's gone. Yeah. I missed it. I wish I'd done something different. But I'm certainly I'm certainly prepared different now for this year. I mean, I've bought a fair amount. Yeah, I put all the podcast profits into Bitcoin. Um I've bought, you know, a good amount over uh, uh over, over 10,000. I I bought a few at uh, 17 and a half thousand with a bank loan which was funny pissed a few people off when I said I lied about I saw it that for. that
0: made me like was that the Lloyd's thing
1: yeah what it was is basically I, I had to go and, I can't remember what it, the reason was but just say I had to go and get some money out of the bank once I had to get some and it, say it was for a car or pay pay a decorator and it was cash and I wanted like 3,000, 4,000 I went to the till to got it out and they said oh, well can you tell us what it's for I was like no and they said no we need to know I said well it's for coke and hookers and i just got decided from then on, I'm just gonna lie. Every time the bank asks me something, I'm just gonna lie. Every single time. So, you know, when I took out my loan, they asked what it's for, I just lied. I go, I'm always gonna lie. I just it's none of your business. I've never missed a mortgage payment. I've never been in debt with you. I've always had my accounts in surplus. I've never complained I've never done anything wrong. I'm the I, I'm probably not the perfect customer, because the perfect customer probably is in debt and does have an overdraft and you yeah. But like I'm a good customer for 25 years, and that's just like none of your business. I'm not answering these questions. So when I took the loan, I did it, and then people, some people got really upset by it. Suddenly started defending the banks. You've committed fraud. I was thinking, what the fuck are you on about? Why are you def- Why are you in? Why are you even in Bitcoin? Um, but yeah, so I did was that. Was this the l-
0: buy, Was this the buyback loan? Um, bounce back loan?
1: No, 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 no. This was just a loan. I woke up one morning and I'd seen the sailor news that he was raising that first. Convertible note and the Bitcoin yeah. price dipped down to 17,500. I was laying in bed with my laptop and I was like, i just see how much money Lloyds will give me. Like, immediately, 35,000. And then immediately put it into Bitcoin. Uh, I think I said it was for a car. I mean, my defense is I'm actually going to be buying a car with the profits for my dad. So, yeah, you know, I've kind of done what I said, but the I point saw being, that. Look, back it's back a black to the point, one, isn't it? It's a yeah. black
0: Jaguar or something you're buying him. Yeah,
1: well, he he's he's always wanted a Jag. He could never afford it because he was always working so hard to put us through school. So, like, he can have that car. But the point the point being is, like, you get this. I think you have to go through a good four years of Bitcoin to understand how to be how to Bitcoin. You have to go through the ups and the downs and make all the mistakes and. Yeah, hopefully you yeah, don't make I many mean, more mistakes I in the think future.
0: I saw some guy on Twitter about a month ago who managed to recover the keys for a wallet. Oh, that was great, wasn't he, it? Yeah. And you know, like that is literally the best way you could have possibly invested in Bitcoin. And and I'm I'm really pleased for that guy. And if by the way, if the person who hacked me wants to give me my coins back, I'd be very grateful for yeah. them if you've made all your millions. But the um yeah, I mean, but they, like like I, I know I'm pretty good friends with a lot of OGs and they're everyone's very very shady. I'm I'm pretty open about my mistakes. Mm. And I think a lot of OGs, you know, the, the you know the whole thing you don't talk about you talk about Bitcoin but not about how many you have or whatever yeah. the phrase is. And uh I wonder how many of them just never never sold. I and think I don't believe
1: I, I don't believe it. And Martin Maumee.
0: Martin Maumee? Yeah. uh, Yeah, he told a
1: good story
0: about that. He had over fifty he had fifty five thousand coins. Yeah, but he'd be a billionaire twice over. Yeah, but he was saying... He mu- I like, mean, he dealt with it well in that story, but he still must have sleepless nights.
1: Of course, but you have that all through. I mean, I could think, I wish I hadn't got married because my divorce cost me so much. I wish I hadn't done this job. Like, you couldn't have all those regrets. But I th- I thought his story was really good because he said, you know, I've got this flat. Like, my son at the moment is like, Dad, why don't you sell something, get yourself a car? You, you know, He's always encouraging me. I said, like, no, you need to huddle. But the, the other point is you you, you might be buying yourself future more yeah you know, higher wealth in the future, but you're also losing time. Yeah. You know, so I've got no issue. Like if the kids once this lockdown's over, want to go on a really big, lovely holiday to I don't know, somewhere in the Caribbean and get a nice villa out in the water. Like let's sell a bit of Bitcoin because you can have that memory and you know, we don't we never know how yeah. much time we've got. Yeah. You know, what's the point of having a very all millennial this big... attitude? Well you I think you've got to live a little. Like I mean how oh, you do. How
0: rich do you need so to So let be? me ask you let me ask you a yeah. question my dad died earlier this year yeah, and he left it. each of my kids uh 10 grand mm-hmm. so they've each got 10 grand do they buy... Uh, and and the, the age of the kids is 20 18 16 14 do they so they they've each got 10 grand and the the money will come it's it's, it's like it'd be about 3 months away they'll get their money yeah. do I buy them each 10 grand's worth of Bitcoin, at whatever the market price is at the time. Do I uh, buy them a sensible, stick it in an ISA and buy them a sensible portfolio of, you know, FTSE 250 stocks or whatever? Do I just let them blow it on clothes or whatever? Or do I, or do my daughter wants to take the 10 grand and spend it on her year off? What's the best, which is the best uh, option? Go
1: traveling. Well, the, the best option is free choice, right? But yeah. what I would throw in there is like, yeah, just go traveling. I mean, the, yeah, look, the reality is, I, my I had this conversation with my son. I've actually got got, got him his first hardware wallet here, ready to go. And um, I said to him, look, you need to start learning it's a about big Bitcoin. One. Yeah, put some savings away. But also, the reality is, <laughs> he said to me, he said, Dad, I'm never going to have as much Bitcoin as you. So what's the point? I'm just going to get yours when you die. <laughs> So why don't you just let them go travelling? Let them spend it whatever they want, and leave a little bit of Bitcoin yeah. for them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. I think I will.
1: I think you could just lay it out for them. What do you want to do? You know, here are your, you. You've given the options. So you say, here are your options.
0: Yeah. Well, the obvious thing to do is to put, you know, two and a half grand in Bitcoin, two and a half grand in FTSE stocks, two and a half grand travelling, and two and a half grand on partying in London. You know. Which yeah. I think is the worst thing you can do. I think you'd want to stick it all in one and really go for it.
1: I, I think the traveling thing, I've said to my son, it's funny, I wish I'd done it differently. So I've, since my children were born, the day, so they, pretty much the day they're born, I set up a bank account, I put 50 quid a month in. It's just a direct debit that sat there. Because in my head, at the time I did it, I was like, well, by the time you're 18, that's your year off, go around the world fund. Yeah, they'll have 10, 12 grand, whatever it is. Imagine a, a 2009 I'd switch that over to Bitcoin. <laughs> There'd be billionaires.
0: I know. <laughs> I know. Right. Let me tell you. Let's talk about gold stocks. You want yes, to talk about please. gold stocks? Yeah. Tell me what's okay, going on so with gold. I came to gold stocks in 2005.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, I'd made a bit of money and I was looking to invest it I started reading on the internet and I started reading about gold and I started reading about money and I started to understand the thing about, you know, the fraud that is fiat currency and everything that Bitcoin understands. And by the way, one of the most important things that Bitcoin has done for the world is once you buy Bitcoin, you become an advocate of Bitcoin. You become a, either you're a miner or you're a communicator or you're an educator or you're a salesman or you build some business on the Bitcoin infrastructure. Just by getting in, Involved in Bitcoin, you add to it. And that's a really mm-hmm. positive dynamic. And but one of the most important things Bitcoin has done, and and the, the, the most powerful message in this whole thing has been the Bitcoin price, you know, relentlessly going up, is it has taken that anti-fiat money narrative into the mainstream you know the fraud that is inflation measures is is exposed by bitcoin and more and more people get it i remember you know in 2005 2006 i made it my life to try and educate people about it that's why i wrote that film four horsemen and many other books and and animated videos about the evils of fiat money and you know a lot of them are the most watched stuff on the subject and bitcoin has just taken that to a whole nother level and i just think that's so important to the world. Um, But in any case, this same narrative was out there in 2005, 2006, except it wasn't Bitcoin. It was gold. It was gold that was going to save us. We had to go back to gold. Gold is honest money. It is traditional money. It has no other Purpose in the world except to be wealth. It is the purest, most distilled store of wealth there is in the world. And we have an, and if you look at pictures, a brilliant picture of Putin holding up a gold bar like that and just staring at it. When you hold gold, it captivates you, there's an allure to it. And you know, you know, it's the very first metal that mankind used. You know, he used gold long before he used copper or tin or everything like that. He found bits nuggets in streams and so on, and he began to use it and they'd use it as a reward. And it was, you know, it was money in the stone age, effectively. And the first examples of human beings um, using gold are like 10 or 20,000 years older than any other metal. And I think we have an instinct for beauty and we have the same instinct for gold. And it was just such a strong narrative and it was confirmed by the gold price. Because every year the gold price was going, it seems pathetic to a Bitcoiner, but every year the gold price was going up 15-20% and the story was getting out. They invented the gold ETFs. They were bullion vaults that ordinary retail investors could put their money in and buy physical gold. Um, Institutional money was coming in via the ETFs. and these things called junior mining companies emerged. You'd have the large mining companies, Newmont and Barrick and things like that. But you'd have these junior mining companies, which were basically mining exploration companies. A couple of blokes with a beard raise some money and they're going to go and drill this property in Outer Mongolia or Alaska or wherever it is. And and they think, because of the way the rocks are, they think there's some gold there and they're going to drill it. And this idea... That junior mining companies were effectively an option on the gold price came along. And so, and junior mining companies were like Bitcoin. They were double and triple and quadruple for no reason whatsoever. Well, the reason they tripled was everyone was buying them. And so 2008 came along, and then everything collapsed in 2008, including the gold stocks. But the gold stocks were the first to rebound. and you know the s&p was dragging low it was going all the way to 666 gold was going flyer and flyer. and that period between 2008 and 2011 was just like was one of the best periods ever to be a well it was probably the best period ever to be a gold mining investor and you just could put 10,000 pounds in a in a gold stock and it would be 50,000 pounds a year later and and the you know it was it's like bitcoin and The the narrative, and that's one of the reasons I think actually psychologically why I didn't get as involved in Bitcoin as early as I should. And then the whole thing peaked in 2011, the Greek crisis. September 2011, the Greek crisis, and Mm -hmm. gold peaked at 19.20 an ounce. And it just, you know, the whole, there's nothing to confirm a narrative like price, Mm -hmm. and if you think fiat money's collapsing and 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 you know inflation and all these narratives. When you see the gold price going up, that confirms it. And so my all my focus was on that. But then the, these guys of the, these gold mining companies, they come and have these lunches to raise money, and they'd be like staying at the Savoy, and they'd be showing up at, at, in these incredible suits and flashy cars, and and you were like, shouldn't you be? Shouldn't that money be going in, into the ground? Shouldn't that be going into drills? And so, um, you know, basically junior gold mining companies were shit coins, effectively. They were <laughs> stupid altcoins is what they were. And, you know, rather like you got burnt in 2016, 20, the market pulled back in 2012, and then 2013, the arse fell out of the market. And gold itself only pulled back about, it went from 1920 to like 1050, so it pulled back 40, 45%, something like that. But most of those mining companies went to zero. And e was zero, zero, zero and they went so quickly and it was so hard to sell because you were like, you know, but I bought at 100 and I'm selling at 20, I may as well just hold on. And it would just go lower and lower and lower until you lost everything. And I got so badly burnt and I saw how the anti-fiat money narrative could unfold. And then I would go to Bitcoin and I would hear all the same narratives uh, that had proliferated in gold before the bubble popped in the bitcoin bin i was like i know how this ends mm, okay i know how this ends and and so that held me back and so but but any in any case why is bitcoin so like been so much better than gold and here's my explanation do you remember at the beginning of the program we talked about the sovereign individual mm-hmm. and these two uh economies the 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 um the physical economy and the digital economy. And the physical economy is the one that's going to be persecuted in this new digital nomad, tax-free world that we're going into. Not tax-free, but you know what I mean. The physical economy, since about 1990, has grown at 3 4 5% a year, sometimes a bit more, sometimes a bit less. And it's done well, but the digital economy has just grown at the most exponential rate. In, in 1990, the market cap of the four biggest companies in Silicon Valley today, compared to what it was in 1990, 30 years ago, it's over a hundred times higher. And the, the, the um, physical economy has just grown at nothing like the same rate. And the reason for this is the scalability of digital technology. If I invent a brilliant app the best app in the world i can upload it to the app store and a billion people can download it or 10 billion people can download it if i invent the best mug in the world i've still got to manufacture and distribute a billion of those mugs it's just so much less scalable mm-hmm. digital stuff and and that is almost and as a result you see you know google gets a really good search algorithm going it can just grow it really quickly and as a result market caps triple and it attracts more investment and there's a virtuous cycle. And so we've moved into a new age where the value is no longer in traditional value, you know, farmland, mining companies, uh, uh, factories, all these kind of physical things. The value now is in Bitcoin, shares in technology companies, uh uh, intellectual property, property, trademarks, all these non-tangible assets. That's where the new wealth is. Data, like data, didn't even exist 40 years ago. And now suddenly everyone's talking about data like it's the new real estate. You know, data. And and so the real wealth is to be found in the digital economy. And gold is the single most analog asset there is Mm -hmm. it is so analog like i can take gold it's i can smash gold into a a layer that is an atom thick one atom thick but i cannot destroy it You, you know all the gold that's ever been mined in all the world's history still exists it's permanent it is eternal and it is pretty much utterly useless for anything else except to be a store of wealth but its problem in this new digital age it is an analog asset and i'm convinced that that is why it's it's you know you can make all these arguments about you know we had we had to go through a bear market to cure all the ills of of the previous bull market you know so 2011 to 2015 2016 and then it's been pretty good since 2016 but you know now the fiat narrative is owned by bitcoin and if yep. i go to a gold conference i'm the i'm 51 and i I've been I'd be the youngest person there. And, and 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 when I was going to gold conferences 15 years ago, age 35, I was the youngest person there. Um when I was going to Bitcoin conferences 10 years ago, I was the oldest person there. You know, so I'm I'm in this sort of cutoff generation. But there's a generational on gulf the cusp. between Bitcoin and I'm on the cusp. There's a generational gulf between Bitcoin and gold, yeah. which is digital and analog, old and young. And Old people do not get Bitcoin, and young people do. And young people are more dynamic, they're more energetic, they've got more get up and go, they've got more fight, and all these qualities have piled into Bitcoin, it's marketing, and gold, meanwhile, you talk to a bullion dealer and he's got your custom, and he'll do everything else to make sure you buy with him, hold with him, sell with him, whereas Bitcoin, it's a whole movement, whereas gold is lots of little things. There's not one overwhelming network that bitcoin has well i've never so those owned are all gold
1: reasons beyond it being within things i've bought right so whether it's jewelry for me or for someone well, not for me i don't wear jewelry or jewelry for somebody else or it's within my phone i've never bought gold my son has never asked me about gold he asked me about bitcoin all the time and then look i know it's my job like so he has that side interest but at the same time he was listening to logan paul the other day uh, his podcast talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and NFTs, but he asks about it and he wants to own Bitcoin. He gets it makes sense to him in his world of his life. So everything you're saying is that transitional thing, and it's kind of funny when you it's talk about narrative. it. It's the like, narrative. It's the narrative. We
0: respond to stories. There's no narrative for gold.
1: The, we do, but also I think you can spin in there the ease of use as well. You there is that ease of use, ease of access, which makes it a more compelling. Uh, 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 yeah, so like VJ Boy Patty said. He did a. He was on uh, Tom Woods' show, and he said Bitcoin is like gold, but it has this uh, magical property that you can teleport it anywhere in the world. And I just love that that narrative. Well, yeah. So it's narrative. It is narrative. You're right. It is narrative. But it, what is really interesting is that I've been yeah my my Bitcoin period from 13 to 17 was really buying drugs on the Silk Road in 13, trading and losing, forgetting about it. And then I've been properly in from like N16 to now. And I've heard all the narratives about what Bitcoin can really be. And there's always that tinge of doubt. Well, it's still magic internet money. I get what you're saying. But but now I'm I'm fully in. I'm fully convinced. I get it now. There's no... Like, I do not want to sell it. I, I, yeah, I would like maybe at some point to leverage it or maybe sell it a little bit. But generally speaking, I think the writing's on the wall for, for gold and fiat currency. So I don't know if you've felt that.
0: Listen... I've still got loads of gold, so let's not let's not <laughs> let's, let's not destroy this, it. this. Is you see this around <laughs> my neck? Yeah, this little bit of gold here. I had two. I had some sovereigns, gold sovereigns, and I took two of them. I was so pissed off with gold in about 2014. You know, I was just sat there holding this fucking thing that kept falling in value, and you know the gold. I bought all that gold, and I was I was going to be a billionaire because we were going to go back to a gold standard. I was going to liquidate my gold and and buy Soho. You know, that was the plan. Should have done it with Bitcoin. Anyway, mm. so I took two sovereigns. I was, and I, and there was a a, a woman in my the, my school. Son, um, my daughter's school had a like a little market fair. And there was a woman who was working on jewellery there at the market fair. And I said, can I give you two sovereigns and you make me an, a necklace? Because I thought I'd just wear, at least I'll have some pleasure to be got from the gold by wearing it. And so I've always... Worn this necklace ever since, which is basically half an ounce of gold. And the like, if you ask me, what's going to be worth more in two hundred years' time, gold or Bitcoin? I would say almost certainly gold. Um,
1: but we don't explain invest
0: that. with two hundred year timeframes. We invest well, in you know five year, three years. Well, five year we're,
1: we're lucky between us. We're not. I mean, we're ten years apart, but like, we can have a broad range. We've got. <laughs> 20 to 30 good years left and then the decrepit bit sure. afterwards. But so, I mean,
0: we don't invest with 30-year time. Why, what, so why 200 years? years.
1: Because, what, because gold will always exist, but Bitcoin could die or something else could come along. Or...
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to have this conversation with Michael Saylor because I'm sure he put me right. But the some new technology will come along, some new monetary technology um, that will supersede uh, Bitcoin. But I don't... People you know, have said about this. come along this bit. I don't know and what the new technology know, needs it, it's, to it's, do. It,
1: like, what does well, this new technology need to do? Because the thing about know. Bitcoin is, I don't think it is about the technology. I think it is about the mystery, the decentralization, the, the anonymous creator, the mythology. I, I, I think, and its narrative and its network effect. What, you know, there's already, there's already... There, there will are, be
0: something will... I don't know what it is, yeah. Peter but something will come along. Either the technology will be better. You know, there could be, there's all sorts of problems that can happen with Bitcoin. Too many Bitcoins could be lost 200 years in the future. Too many bitrums, so many Bitcoins could be locked away. You know, could be too great an unequal distribution of wealth on the Bitcoin network. Too few people could earn too many just by virtue of the when they bought, you know, and it, it does seem at the moment there's less and less Bitcoin on the market. More and more people are buying and so there's, uh, there's less and less available. But... You know, there is, like, again, coming back to Daylight Robbery, money is technology. What we use as money has always been driven by technology. So we talked about the mud, the evolution from the balls to the writing in the clay tablets. You know, in in 700 years BC, in ancient Lydia, they found ways... Uh, um, I forgot. The, forget the king who did it, it was the Kries, Alates, A-L-Y-T-T-E-S, Alates, I don't know how you, how, you, how you pronounce it, minted the first coins in ancient Lydia. They were probably mi- minting them earlier in China. And so coinage, where you could certify the amount of metal in a coin and then stamp it with the issuer to guarantee the purity, you know, it was a much better of, of form of money than the... Sticks that they used at the time, or whatever other forms of of money they used. and so you'd you'd see copper coins, um silver coins, and gold coins. and then you know coinage was one of the most brilliant technologies ever. We still use it today, just but you know it's a technology and the 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 use of that technology has improved throughout all out all that time. but the basic principle was invented seven hundred years BC. but then you know the next evolution in money was the inventing of the printing press. And we found that, you know, it's more convenient rather than using gold coins to use bits of paper instead. And this happened in China and under Kublai Khan or whoever it was. Uh, and, and then in the, U- in the Western Europe, it, it came about you know, from about the 1400s onwards. And then we started using running cash notes. And then we got the invention of the Bank of England and we'd have state sponsored notes and so on. And paper money became paper replaced gold. It was still backed by gold, but use of paper was just more convenient. And then the next stage in the evolution was the evolution of digital technology and communications. People forget the role of, of, of communication in money. Like mm. the first transatlantic um transactions between the dollar and the pound happened in whenever it was 1850 or 1860 with the invention of the of of the telegram and by telex and the the, the cable that, that's where we get the expression cable from, but the cable went across and the money was transferred. It wasn't transferred across the table, but it was just acknowledged by both sides of the trade that that money had now passed there. So there wasn't a physical passing of money, it was just a communication. So, you know, when you hear this thing is, oh, well, gold's useless because you can't, if I want to port 100,000, you know, 100 pounds of gold from America to China, that's going to take me a warship and, you know, 20 years and it's going to, uh, 20 days, and it's going to cost me this much. Well, no, you can still have the vault And just the ownership can be transferred, you know. It's it's quite. It's worked out well for
1: Venezuela with us uh, holding their gold. Uh, I mean, exactly.
0: But yeah, there are all sorts of other issues to do with where the ownership is stored. I accept that, but the 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 point being that you know the Bitcoin never moves. It's just the transfer of of ownership is is just is is on the is on the blockchain. It's logged on the blockchain. So now you own it. You know, it's the same as the old stones of Yap. So. You, you know the the stone stayed where, the, where they were, but the ownership transferred in, in, in the in the in the ledger, which was in people's heads. Um, so you know the same can apply to gold so it's not totally redundant. it just badly mm. needs to reinvent itself. but coming back to the the money is tech thing, you know digital technology came along and it was much better. And we can send money by internet banking now. And so the cheques died a death. So paper money's died a death. We don't use paper money barely at all anymore. And so, you know, there's just this constant... E- and and then the ultimate form of digital money we've, was the ownership issue, which Bitcoin, the decentralized thing. And, you know, I can't say what the next invention will be because... You know, usually an invention happens in reaction to a problem. We don't even know what the problem is yet because Bitcoin's working very well. But there will problems will arise and then something else will come along and replace it. And so that's why I say, you know, gold is the money of last resort, it's it's the very first metal we ever use, and it'll probably be the last metal we ever use. Mm-hmm. Um and it has its variations and it comes in and out of fashion and at the moment it's very out of fashion and you know i i, I would advise people to more, be more overweight bitcoin at the moment than they are gold but you know i'm hedged i've got both but in 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 200 years time i would in five years' time, I'd bet on Bitcoin, but with a 200 year time frame, I'd bet on gold. But why do I care about bitcoin? a 200 year time frame? Yeah, because exactly. I'm not gonna be alive.
1: Why don't you sell your Bitcoin uh, gold and buy Bitcoin? Why why are you short Bitcoin, Dominic? Why are you short bitcoin?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have sold gold and bought Bitcoin <laughs> and not early enough.
1: Oh uh, well man, listen, look, we've uh, we've crushed out a pretty good couple of hours here. Um, I think we've uh, is there anything we've not covered that you've as burning on your list,
0: oh, loads. But just well, it, let's, listen. Let's if do whenever, one. Yeah, whenever you're up, I'm, I'm, I'm. I can talk forever. And as you probably gathered, and and whenever you know, if you need a guest or something, you know, I'm only up the road. Well, I think this Which is going to be very in, popular. I look forward to actually meeting in person. Yeah. So day. what
1: we'll do, what we'll do is when all this bullshit's over and Boris lets us out, let's meet up. Let's go out in Soho. Um, as a restaurant, I really like down on y- you'll know Frist Street. Yeah. Yeah, just opposite I love Ronnie Street. Yeah, I love Frist Street. It's where I get all my tattoos. This is all on Frist Street. Um, but oh, is a, it? Yeah, do you know Choto Mate
0: on Frist Street, the, the Japanese Peruvian place? I think, no, I think I've eaten there once, but I, I can't. I think I've eaten there once, but has it got sort of benches? All up and down, or is it all separate tables?
1: It's got benches around. No, it's separate tables. Separate tables. It's on two floors. Anyway, we'll go there. It's, it's that's okay. my favourite place in lunch uh, London. I'll take you there, and then uh, we can go to Ronnie Scott's afterwards and have a drink. Because I was sure that'd good. be fun. We can go to the Groucho
0: Club and, and and be co. Or we can be like, um you know, horrible media whores <laughs> Yeah, and I'll, I'll go. Into... Berwick Street is where I want to live. That's my favourite ever street.
1: I mean, I would got, be. Do you want to see anywhere? Any oh, of those I'd... places around
0: there? um what, what how many tattoos have you got fifty three I think you're kidding i think so fifty three I've only got one, but i want to get i do want to get have you got a bitcoin tattoo? No, I did think
1: about that and i, I
0: you know is that too religious
1: yeah and and I've, there's a couple of tattoos I've regretted in my life, and that's one where in the future I might regret it you know it's a bit like
0: <laughs> i don't know like, I, like, yeah. like, having laser eyes on your bitcoin have well, have you, got, profile if, you
1: got a bitcoin tattoo
0: no, I haven't, but I'm tempted to get one. <laughs> I wanted to get one, Bitcoin fixes this. Um well, I can't remember there was another one. I was talking to my girlfriend. I've got I've only got one, which is Professor Calculus from the Tintin books. Um but I, I, I wanna get uh I wanna get one that says know thyself, but in either in Greek or in Latin. But the um apparently that's really cliched. My girlfriend <laughs> says she had her previous bloke had one of those on. So <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't get that one. I had a really witty idea for a tattoo, but I forget what it was.
1: Usually but the anyway. witty ones are the ones you pr- probably regret. I've got I've got certainly three or four I regret. Oh, that's why you just get more, so the, the shit ones get lost amongst, amongst the others.
0: It is addictive, isn't it? It's like plastic very, surgery. You, you keep wanting addictive. to get more.
1: Yeah, although I haven't had any for a couple of years. Um, so I am overdue to... To, they fucking hurt, that's the problem. and I went through a phase of about two years of getting them all the time. I was like and then I started to get ill I'd have one and I'd have like a flu for 24 hours. you just feel terrible because
0: was that the, it's the impurities getting in your bloodstream or something
1: No, no I, th- I think it's the bo- it's the shock to the body because essentially it's like a trauma when you have a tattoo because you're constantly attacking it with a needle. Um, and I just think after a while, my body was like, "Look, you need to have a break." So I, I am overdue getting one. I'm, I'm overdue any trip to Fristree. I haven't actually been into London since before the lockdown, the first lockdown. So it's come up to a I've year. I've been and I'm,
0: three times. Uh,
1: I used to be there. I used to be there every
0: every you week. You said you went into London between the two lockdowns.
1: Yes, you're right. I drove through London. I drove through London. Okay. Yeah, I was driving through Soho because. I was... What was I there
0: for? The traffic the is to... horrendous.
1: Yeah, the traffic was. And I was... They were like... But that's that's
0: because everyone's... Nobody's using public transport because they don't want to get COVID.
1: Well, but also, they seem to have put up... They seem to have pedestrianised part of Soho. And oh, we yeah. were being routed around. But I haven't actually... When I say I haven't been... I haven't been out in London. You know, I just haven't yeah, okay. been out. I haven't been like, and had a drink, haven't been to a show. Look, I haven't done all the we'll things go, we want we'll to go do. Get ta-
0: we'll go and get pissed and then get a tattoo.
1: We'll get tattoos. we are going to see Jordan Tier at Frist Street. We'll get tattoos, we'll get drunk. I'll bring my friend Tom, who I think you'll like, and uh, we'll get some food. But look, this has been great. Um, people are going to love this. I'm probably have you on very
0: soon again to... Uh, just talk shit. Uh, for with a of pleasure. Bells. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 really doing as many podcasts as possible at the moment because I'm trying to yeah, vlog this promote book, this daylight book. Yeah. Daylight robbery. I mean, do I've f- got it. People can check out that book. I outside. think people we'll- will love it, but yeah. but Bitcoiners, it's only three quid. This Shadow Punk Revolution it's only an hour, it's only like 50 minutes oh, no. long. You buy it for three quid on that's iTunes what, or um, I've just put a whole credit on that. Usually you can get so back down you know what I pitched the price, it's too short. And it, it it tells you what the price is. You can't put the prices, and because it's short, they pitched it three quid, and everyone wastes a whole Audible credit on it, and then gets really resentful afterwards because it's so short. So no. don't use an Audible credit; pay with money. And I've and, just and done that, so uh... you'll get better value. Well, listen, sorry. Look, Well, you can always send it back.
1: Well, I've got. to Let me finish my, when money dies, and I've then got to finish. I've got about. A third to go on the sovereign individual and then i will move on to daylight robbery and every chance i'll probably say okay i need to have this conversation again and we'll get back on but i'll put the links in the show notes hopefully people check them out go and check out the books and yeah once this uh lockdown bullshit ends let's go out and grab a steak sure all right but my cheers. man listen good to cheers, see Peter. you cheers how cool is dominic how cool was that interview how cool was that little cameo from my son pretty cool one. I love that. I love talking to Dominic. I think I will definitely have him back on the show soon. And once these lockdowns are fully over, I'm probably going to get down to London, sink a few beers with him, eat a steak and talk Bitcoin. Now, listen, I have spoken to a lot of Americans who are real anarcho-capitalists. And while I really like their perspective and theoretically, I think they're right, I've always struggled with some of the more extreme views. I've struggled with that idea that there'd be no state. It just doesn't work for me. I just, I'm I always think there will be some kind of centralized force managing some aspects of society. And I think we will have tax. I don't agree with it. I just think it will. And now I love America, but there are definitely some cultural differences between Americans and Brits. Uh, I think that's why a lot of you call us status as well. Uh, And I get into this with Dominic. You know, his perspective on this is really interesting. And I kind of support that idea of of lower tax. But look, we are different. You know, we are funnier and more handsome. And you have a bigger country. Yeah, there are differences, but I love you, you love me, we can all accept each other, right? Anyway, let me know what you think. Did you like this one? And if you want to reach out, you can hit me up. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com, or you can even join our What Bitcoin Did Telegram channel, which Ben Prentice, our new producer, is working hard on making a little bit more interesting. Now, if you do want to support the show, if you listen, you want to help me out, please do go and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Hopefully you think the show deserves five star. Hopefully you do outside of that, please do go and check out NeverEdit. That's at neveredit.com. That's our daily newsletter, tech, macro, and Bitcoin. And go and check out defiance.news, our other sister podcast, where we talk about some things outside of Bitcoin. Okay, hope you have a great rest of your week. I'll see you all Friday. Got a banging, banging show coming out with Breed Love. You're going to love that one. All about the sovereign individual. Love you all. See you all soon.